All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's Action for Everyone for January 23rd, 2022. As always, I am joined by the amazing Vice Victus. Vice, how are you today? Doing good, staying safe, you know, chilling out. And uh, my my uh, Sundance Cracker partner, Wayface, Liam O'Donnell, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, basking in... Uh... And what really has been a, uh, I've just been doing throwback movies all week and uh, watching some of my favorite stuff. So I'm in a great uh, headspace. And we are joined by a very special guest this week. Uh, you all know them. You've all seen them on Twitter. They are Twitter famous. They are also one of the most insightful uh, sort of critics of, of movies and, uh, and, and we had to get them on. Stefano De La Cuesta. Stefano, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm primed, prepped, moisturized. I'm ready to talk movies and whatever you guys have in mind. <laughs> He's that line. This motherfucker is glowing right now. Oh, I see. So she's so. They're so, they're so pretty. I can't. I can't stand it. It's. I hate it. So jealous. Ah. Good advice. Uh, tripping over himself. Well, I, I uh, Stefano. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, You've been one of the most interesting Twitter follows, uh, I'd say, for me <laughs> of the past couple of years. And it's not that I always agree with everything that you have to say, but I'm always so interested of, about how you're coming at it. And you have your own um, philosophies and, uh, and and you have your own taste in that, and you always kind of back it up. So, And you're way more confident in your takes than I am. So I'm like, who who is this? this mysterious person. And then of course you'll, you know, grace us with these, uh, you know, incredible glam shots that, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like all this, all these tweets about the most macho of all action. And then you're in these amazing dresses and it's like, this is just, uh, you know, one of the most interesting voices in action Twitter. And we had to have you on. Well, I'm honored, you know, I, you know, Liam, I love your movies, obviously like that, that's, that goes without saying. And then, you know, I've, you know, uh, earlier before we started recording, uh, Vice and I were talking about how we used to hash it out on, on message boards back in the day. And then like now we're <laughs> friends and then, you know, stumbled onto uh, Mike's uh, account. You know, he was saying some stuff about action movies and analyzing action scenes. And I was just like, this guy, this guy's really cool. Like, you know, there's not a lot of people who are published and paid and published who actually go in depth that way. So I was like, all right, like I'm a fan of all three of you guys. So like, you know, to be in this room now, it's pretty interesting, pretty fun. Yeah, and you know, we definitely, as you said, we're all fans of you. Like, yeah, like he was saying, man, we were talking mad shit back in the day. Like, like you know, I was being a super asshole back then, which I am ashamed of. But like, at the same time, it's in a weird way, like we were saying earlier, like, we're like, uh, how in, in Dragon Ball or anime, like your enemies first, you like, then you become good friends later on, like Piccolo and Goku. Yeah, like, like, yeah. But like, but like, I think that sparring with you, if you want to call it that, helped sharpen my mind and make my thoughts more clear and my opinions more more uh erudite because you know like i think you're one of your great powers you know a, as a internet personality or just a thinker is that you have the conviction and the uh clarity of, of, your, of your of your opinions to know what you're talking about and you know a lot of people they'll talk shit but they can't really philosophically or or intellectually back it up but you always do and that i learned a lot from you from doing that so that's really cool that you know now we're all here getting together again as homies <laughs> what, what what's the date what's the date of this message board battle just so i 
can co- put it in context. It's like, it was like the mid 2010s, I want to say. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. 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 I, used to be, I used to be on the uh, on the <laughs> Alien and Predator IMDb boards when we were working on that. Like, I felt like I spent like two years in the trenches, just like sitting there, like, like trying to hold off the horde that was like, this shit sucks. And I'd be like, no, and trying to fight everybody. And, I, and then at the end, I'm like, why did I do that? Like, it was literally like, I treated it like it was my job. Um, but yeah, well, I was in my early twenties. That was my that's my excuse, right? <laughs> I, mean, I think I think we're of the same internet yeah. age uh, yeah. around yeah. it. But um, and it, I, I look, I think I, I read some of my writing because of some other stuff we're going to talk to from two thousand nine last night, and I was like, what a fucking asshole! I was so oh fucking God. up my own ass about wanna, my own I opinions. Wanna, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I want to burn everything I've ever written, like in that era, like from high school all the way to film school. Like, no, 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 no. That 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 man is dead. That person is dead. Like, yes. Man. And I think that's why I'm sorry, sorry, people in your early 20s that we engage with is that there's a little bit of why, why you get that kind of glad hand because, like, we all were you and we all fucking were high on our own supply. So uh, you know, it, it it's just part of life. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know how to address all of that because I used to watch Vice and Stefano fight on the BMD message boards. And uh, and there's Liam, I will say, as you probably recognize now, they're real classy for a filmmaker to jump into message boards and defend their work, right? Doesn't look insecure in the slide. Well, I mean, I was 24 years old. I was I was not I had no other job oh to do. God. I was like done with what I was doing. And, but yeah, it is not. It is generally um, a total waste of time, but my employers liked that I did it, so I just kept doing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh man! Oh, those days. Yeah. Oh, the internet. See, that's I was that a whole thing. different. I was a whole different gender back then. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot that a decade can do to us. Um, yeah. So yeah. So so you you're you're. Uh, take it. Take us through just like the the bullet points of this evolution. So you're uh, a guy who's who's on these message boards arguing uh, with Vice and and Mike here. And but where's your like? So you said you did go to film school. Yeah. And and so and then you kind of became this voice as uh, as a, a, you started doing actual internet criticism and film criticism, right? Yeah, so I was I was out in um, you know I'm here in Chicago. Um, I went to Lake Forest College for communications and film. You know, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to be a screenwriter more specifically. Um, and you know, I, I took a lot of programs out in DePaul as well uh, to get you know to help get the credits, get the degrees, start doing. You know, I made my own like film shorts, which I never want anybody to see like the light of day like ever. Um, but you know, you're, you're, I'm a hot blooded 18, 19 year old. And I'm like, I love movies. I, I want to, I, I want to make movies, you know, I, I don't know if I got a handle on the direction sort of thing, but maybe I can be a writer because I like to write, you know, mm-hmm. I used to write sh- short stories back in, in, in high school. I used to, um, write little comics and zines for, you know, my, for my friends in college and, um, you know, I, I really wanted to take this seriously. Um, so I went out, I went out to LA uh, a little bit in around like 2012, 2013 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I lived with family. I lived out of my car. Um, I lived, you know, with my my girlfriend at the time. We were just sort of, you know, not necessarily homeless, but we were like couch surfing a lot. Um, you know, she wanted to be a model. Um, so like that comes with its own like list of stresses and and everything. Um, yeah, but I wanted to be a screenwriter, so I, I took some programs at at UCLA, um, some screenwriting workshops and everything, and. Uh, met up, made a few connections here and there, but mostly it was just really, uh, you know, I fell into that whole work for experience sort of thing. You know? Sure. I fell for that um, where like, I, I didn't realize that, no, 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 I should probably get paid for eight hours work uh, as a production assistant on this or as a, as somebody working sound or audio or, or editing. Um, but yeah, uh, I did that. And unfortunately, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, I turned to, to drugs and, and stuff. Uh, I, I, hit a, I hit a rock bottom, uh, met the wrong people. Um, you know, I got caught up in a lot of things I really should not have gotten caught up with. Um, but, you know, movies was always my escape, you know, um, especially like in, in this time. Um, you know, like like I, I'm, I'm older now I get I get to appreciate like the Criterion collection like I get to go to film festivals now um you know and I'm out in LA like you know you have all these all these great theaters out there repertory screenings at the Yang and everything like that so I was go I was going through like a really 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 dark period in my time mm-hmm. but like I, I always came back to the movies because like that was my thing growing up this was like this was like my my, my comfort my like my chicken soup you know, like just for a couple hours of the day, I get to escape in, in, in somebody else's world and, and just take it all in. Um, and, you know, I, obviously I was really passionate about it. And then, you know, um, I knew all of, you know, BMD, you know, formerly Badass Digest. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, like the way that the writing was on that site and the way that like the content was set up was for was for people like us, like people who were, you know, on the younger side of things, you know, not not stuffy, the stuffy critics, you know, that um, sort of were the stereotype, you know, like the Anton egos of, of uh, the film world as were, you know, that's a Ratatouille reference for anybody sort of listening in right now. Um, you know, it was more laid back, more, more chill, more open to genre, more open to, you know, the uh, less, less critically beloved movies, you know, uh, you know, this, this whole mindset of giving everything sort of a fair shake. And that was very, very appealing to me because, you know, you know, even though I was trying to fit in a lot with like my film school peers, like, I was like, I grew up on like James Cameron and Michael Bay and, and stuff like that. And, and like Paul W.S. Anderson, like for the longest time, Soldier with Kurt Russell was my favorite movie. Like, <laughs> hell yes. Like, like, and Highlander, you know, like I, I'm, I wasn't like, oh, I, I really love like Citizen Kane or, or Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. Not that those aren't masterpieces, but like I came at film um you know as a kid with with parents who were way too lackadaisical about what I was popping into the VHS player and you know I was watching Guyver 2 Dark Hero and Hellraiser and 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 Hard Boiled and all that stuff and 
like that that was those sort of cemented my love of movies as opposed to you know uh oh like i love the red shoes or the robe or what have you like i've come to love those movies now as my tastes have matured but like you know what got what got all this kick started was 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 genre was action uh specifically and you know just sort of stumbled into uh bmd and and uh, all these like-minded uh critics and voices and other message boards and I was like oh wow like these are all film fans who are sort of like who who think about these things in in a, in a not dissimilar way mm-hmm. that that I do and I could and I you know it it was fun it was it was a lot of fun yeah well oh thank you I mean you filled in so much there but it really helped crystallize to me because when I read your writing on Twitter and your breakdowns of action scenes I'm like who is this guy like what is their background and I see you're you're in advertising I believe or, or marketing or, or am yes, I correct? yeah yeah and I'm like what they must have lived another life there's a whole other life behind these tweets like you've done you've yeah. got you've got so much insight um and I talked to Mike and, and Vice about this too, is that there's not really that much difference between someone in the industry and someone obsessed with the industry. It's kind of like, it's it's the luck that's in the middle of it. Cause I'll meet people yes. that are like, you know, that that are, are doing way better than I'll ever do. And they're not like really that smart or that, or that passionate about it. It's like, like they just kind of- Name some uh, names, not Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen the movie. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's not like, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, there, there's not, there's not this great big difference of, of, it's like one, like you're saying, there's these awful um, gatekeepers that are, you know, financial where you can have these people work in, um, you know, positions without money because they have family money and they can continue to kind of like, uh, you, if you have if you have something to fall back on out here, you're like kind of invincible because a lot of of the shit is them people just like trying to milk as much free work out of you and uh, and kind yeah. of drag you over the coals and take advantage of you. And if you don't need to take that work and you can tell people fuck you, they're all of a sudden like, oh my god, this guy's got it. <laughs> it's, so, it's so stupid, <laughs> but it's like yeah. wow, he doesn't. He doesn't even want to like eat like like he doesn't even want me to spit in my in his mouth like what's going on it's like you know there's they're such a weird power imbalance when you're starting out and and so when you you come from some sort of like a, a wealthy family you just don't have to eat shit and so much about when you're first coming out here is eating shit um and you know my my the the place i got into is that i found a group of dudes that were like um really really great visualists but they didn't go to college they didn't have any like formal writing training whatsoever so me coming like fresh out of bu and uh being you know on the same wavelength of them as far as like what you were saying obsessed with james cameron movies it was like oh i kind of fit into a piece that they were missing uh and so that's just like luck of the draw that i just kind of i was like a friend of a friend and we met and, and then all of a sudden you get kicked onto this whole other track in your life um but anyway um i wanted to uh, i'm so i'm so glad that you 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 brought all of that up though it it does kind of illustrate to me how like easy these things are to confuse and that you know experts can can be anywhere out there and i do consider you to be an action expert um (laughs) and and which which brings us to our big topic of the week right which is uh you know 
I wanted to to have you on and I wanted you to talk about Zack Snyder and what exactly it is about Zack Snyder that you love so much. Because I'll just give you a quick thing on on my experience with Zack Snyder. Um, he's a because he's a little bit uh, older than me. And I remember my friend saw Dawn of the Dead remake, and he was like, "Hey, that thing is fucking really good. Like, it might have been the best time I've had in the theater all year." And I was like, "What? It's just you know because." Kind of at the time, it just looked like um, like a normal sort of... We've been getting a bunch of those remakes, and it's a classic. So I kind of was like, I couldn't believe what he was telling me. I waited till DVD, and when I got the DVD, I like was like blown away. Watched it over and over again. Watched all of the special uh, features. And when I saw Zack Snyder, I was like, wait, this guy looks like like one of my friends. Like he's He's one of these first directors that was just like wearing like a heavy metal t-shirt and kind of like this good looking bro and his commentary on that one's really funny. He, he sounded charming and funny. It would be like, if you didn't know what type of movie you're in, boom, my head blows up. Now, you know, and I was like, okay, I, I like this guy. Like I could, I could gel with this guy. And then um, at hydraulics where I was the working with that visual effects company, when I first kind of showed up that one of their big movies was 300. And so I got to see that kind of, um, coming together just on they did like the whole elephant sequence um mm. they did the decapitation sequence and so it was like big whole chunks of the movie that we had there um but he was never over there it was all like remote um you know d- doing uh notes and stuff and the, the vfx super was over there a lot but so we kind of were primed for that movie when it came out and the whole company went to see it and we had, a, you know, an amazing time. It was probably, you know, when I first showed up, they, they had like worked on the fog. So we hadn't had like a, an actual project that everyone wanted to see. So it was, it was like a big party and 300 obviously played like gangbusters and, you know, 2006, very different time when it comes to problematic uh, diagnosis of cinema. Um, there's obvious, it, it, and I think that's also part of the context where people now just freely call this guy a fascist. Uh, where you have to kind of think about the context of 2006 and that this was all about like being badass and adapting this graphic novel uh, in a mm-hmm. post-Sin City world where it's all about like, let's start appealing to authenticity. There's like this authenticity movement that happens because you've got, it's a reaction to the, to the Fox, like inauthentic uh, comic world and their entire approach. Cause I was working at Fox around that time was like, fuck the source material. We'll just do whatever we want to do with it. And so then there was like this Austin, Snyder uh, and which eventually becomes the MCU approach of like, let's actually go to what the source material is and honor it. Um, so that's my beginning with Snyder. I was, I was in, in the beginning. Um, I, I remember not loving man of steel uh, because of the Jonathan Kent scenes, but at, it's one of the ones that when I went back and revisited, I think of like after the past 10 years, is the best looking uh, superhero movie of the decade. And, it, and it's held up the best because of the scale and the action. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I did the whole rewatch of his movies um, at the beginning of last year with the, with the Zack Snyder justice league and came to appreciate them more. And I think they've aged better than I ever would have thought. Um, so yeah, that's my takeaway with Snyder, but I do feel like you were a big part of that um, reassessment for me. 
because I I log into Twitter and be like, uh, Stefano's watching Man of Steel again. Like, there's got to be something in this movie that I'm missing. Uh, and so when I went back in, I, I looked at it with fresh eyes. And uh, and so yeah, I, I'll 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 take over to the corner and just let you go on Snyder. Oh, okay. I mean, um, I think wow. I mean, that's that's a lot to unpack. But uh, you know, that's that's a very interesting your your sort of journey. Um, you know, from your point of view, um, and sort of like. You know, coming at it like, oh, like everybody, everybody liked Dawn of the, like, I feel like everybody sort of agrees that Dawn of the Dead is like the best, like Zack Snyder movie, even people who don't particularly care for him. Um, so it's really fun, like hearing your evolution of like, oh, like I watched, I watched this 300, I saw this Watchmen and, and so forth and see how your opinion sort of changed over time. Um, because I sort of had that journey too. Um, but for me, like when, when Dawn of the Dead came out, this was like, the height of like like zombies are back you know like 28 days later had just sort of dropped there was uh the paul ws anderson resident evil movie came out and then dawn of the dead like those are like the three that sort of like reignited interest in like the the zombie horror like subgenre. and it was interesting because the, all, all three of those sort of have action elements to it too they weren't just straight up horror films uh you know there there was like gunplay there was martial arts in there too every now and then there was like the slow motion bullet time um in Zack Snyder's case you know you have the magic hour like Michael Bay like school of uh of, of you know action <clears throat> and uh editing um but like yeah so I was like I think I was like 13 or 14 when that came out <laughs> um i'm not trying to age anybody here I, i'm just uh, for context like that was sort of a that was like a go-to uh like sleepover hang out with hang out with like other kids like movie that we would put on like in between playing halo and halo 2 and oh, stuff yeah. like we would like <laughs> yeah we would we would pop in like our our go-to like like movies that our parents like shouldn't have allowed us to watch but we totally did was like it was like dawn of the dead remake uh blade two was the yeah. other one um and uh one of the terminators i think it was either one or two depending on like or and alien were like the the ones like those were like our sleepover movies and so for like dawn of the dead like i don't know there's just something about it that i you know you really like uh as as a youngster you know when you think about like playing and playing with your friends and stuff like that and coming up with these imaginary like survival scenarios like oh what if the world was taken over by monkeys or robots or zombies so like uh it was like the zombie apocalypse plan sort of thing and then dawn of the dead sort of like like has that in a nutshell you know like they go to the mall and they, they sort of like board up and they have to sort of build they have to build a functional community within this little, this small space to survive. And I keep in mind, I hadn't seen the original yet. So I had no idea that people were sort of down on like, oh, this is, this doesn't have the satirical elements of George Romero's thing. So like, I was just taken by the whole, like, okay, we have to like build a community in this small thing to survive, you know, uh, this, this unknowable monster at the, at the other side of things and it was it was funny it was witty you know it it, it was propulsive um and it was exciting and it was like 
it has I always say that like Zack Snyder like he's he's clearly a grown man and he clearly thinks about these things a lot and he's clearly like <laughs> he's clearly he, a he's grown man <laughs> yeah but but he has he has this a really strange ability to key into your inner 13 year old self okay and just yeah. like what what you think is cool when you're that age you know and he's not embarrassed by it he just sort of really like embraces it like there's like a down with the sickness needle drop in, oh yeah in dawn of the dead like that's such a famous thing and then of course he plays the richard cheese parody of that song as well and like that's that's something that like i would do you know, like to like a Dragon Ball Z AMV or something, you know, I would I would throw in a Linkin Park song or or like down with the sickness because it's zombies and it's like a sickness. And like, of course, I want to I want to like, you know, get into the mood and get into the vibe of that. Um, I was going to so, bust out. You know, and I, ooh, Yeah, but I yeah. sorry, guys. Sorry, podcast listeners. <laughs> apologize for your ears i will try and uh, i will try and lower the volume on that because liam just made my ears bleed. So. <laughs> um well yeah no absolutely absolutely um sorry you continue stefano yeah so i mean it was just really cool um you know like i didn't really think too much or unpack it very much it's just like oh my god like like here's like you had sarah Polly and like i wanted to be her like you know she's you know she's out you know she's uh out of the school of uh you know buffy of ripley of sarah connor you know she was like this she's like you know her main character um if you don't haven't seen the movie she's like a nurse and then um you know her husband uh gets infected and becomes a zombie and she has to and she has to you know uh join the survivors in the mall and she sort of ends up becoming the de facto leader of the of this this community in here, um, and that was really cool because you know that was a nice little change from like the other the other zombie movies I had seen up to that point, um, even compared to like you know twenty eight days later you know which really didn't um, didn't sort of dive into sort of this community building as survival, and I guess that sort of appealed to me as a kid because you know I was an only child I didn't have brothers or sisters um uh my family moved around a lot um so i was really big into the found family building building you know friends and then like oh your role is this you know um i'll do this i'll take care of that um so like to watch that in dawn of the dead like you get to see that sort of base level of like playing in the sandbox you know with your friends um but on on like this adult level you know um and and it goes well into when they're surviving in the mall they have the resources you know they're um they're managing them um but when they try to escape the mall like this was like this was the point where i was like i i fucking love this movie where they they uh, reinforce the uh the shuttles and they 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 build these they rebuild these vehicles and then you have that music that that uh that punk rock montage to that um and it's just like yeah, like this is this is playtime with my friends. Like yeah. we would we would like build like cool cool things with blocks or like Legos or like we would tie lightsabers to like our Nerf guns or some shit like that. And you know, like there was that, and and that was really fun. And that's sort of where I was coming at with Dawn of the Dead. Um, you know, I I didn't know who Zack Snyder was. 
I, you know, I did watch a bunch of the special features, but like to me, like as a 13 year old, I was just like, oh, this is just the guy who made this like, really dope movie that I really like. Um, but then we fast forward to like 300 and this came out uh, a little after Sin City. Um, and I had just started like getting into like comic books and stuff uh, and graphic, graphic art and, and graphic storytelling, graphic novels. Um, you know, like I, I, superhero movies were sort of like they were in their infancy, I think. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Um, you know, we had we had we had the Spider-Man trilogy, the Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, and then like the Fox X-Men's um, and Blade. And uh, like that was about it. Like, you know, I mean, you have Batman Begins and Fantastic Four, but like, you know, it is what it is. Um, so when Sin City came out, it, it, I don't know, it, it just it just blew me away. You know, Robert Rodriguez's Sin City, like it, it was like it took the pages of a comic book and just brought it to life. Like I was just like, why hasn't anybody ever done this before? This is amazing. You know, um, you know, especially when, you know, like I was into like anime and, and cartoons and stuff so like being able to see see that in like live action quote unquote you know like digital backlot filmmaking i didn't know what digital backlot filmmaking that was back then i just thought right. that like you know it, it was what it was um it was just filmmaking to me um but i was like wow like you can you can just you can just do that you can just translate the the grammar and the idiosyncrasies and the the, the language of co- of graphic art and comic books on screen and that just that just like it blew my mind um, and it got my imagination racing like you know the possibilities are endless about like what we can actually do on film and movies and stuff at this point you know um, because like now we're taking we're taking panels and pages that you know were deemed unfilmable. Um, and just doing it but like you're doing it through the language of cinema it's not like a one-to-one translation you have to you have to take um that cinema has its own language and own words for certain things certain images that would be um on on panel um so yeah then then 300 came out and i'm just gonna jump in real quick on sin city um as in 2005 i was in la and i was like uh, a meathead who had a leather jacket and liked to smoke cigarettes and drink whiskey. So I was just like, I remember after coming out of that movie, be like, me and my me and my roommate were like smoking cigarettes and be like, we're Marv. You know, it's just it was such a stupid uh, like reaction, but it was so uh, you just put me right back there of uh, of coming out of the theater and everyone, you know, like you said, being blown away. Um, and uh, if anyone else, had, what what about you, Vice? Were 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 you? Uh, were you all jacked up coming out of Sin City or what was your takeaway? Well, I'm going to go back a little bit because uh, I'm still having um, flashbacks of all the shit we talked about, Man of Steel. <laughs> well, I, won't, I think we're going to get to Man of Steel, though. No, no. but well, we'll I can skip ahead. That's fine. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm well, going no. off. Let me, let me do this. Uh, well, I'll just say like... Um, <laughs> Mike, I'm so sorry. You'll have to edit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We asked you to go on edit. tangents. I don't edit shit, man. This is all... Yeah. No, this is this is interesting stuff, so don't worry about it. Like, we wanted you on because we wanted you to talk about this stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just say so for that time period, that 2005 ish, the uh, like, I guess pre MCU kind of thing, I see, I was actually in an interesting place, like physically and, and um, mentally, because I was I was overseas, uh, uh, Korea and Germany, and so this is actually a, a big part of my cin- cinematic upbringing is because um, 
for some strange reason, the uh, video, the DVD collection in the PX had a really eclectic mix of like uh, blockbusters that had just been really finished or just released on home video in America and like a bunch of international stuff too. Like, uh, like uh, 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 international and even art, art house stuff too. Like, uh, like I, I remember seeing um, Sin City and also I saw uh, Jim Jarmusch's The Limits of Control like in, on like in the same week because they, because they were in the same the guy who was running the video store at the PX just I guess he was like his own his own like blockbuster artiste or whatever <laughs> but you know he, he really helped me out because you know again and, but also that was uh yeah and then like little a few later a few years later after that you know with like uh Transformers movies or whatever like uh you know we mentioned Michael Bay like that's when I was in Germany when that one came out and to see it was just to to see our blockbusters from I was in the I was in the German audience, you know. It, it had subtitles for them, but just to see it was a strange feeling to see how we looked to them, basically. It was just embarrassing, is what it was. <laughs> like you know, this like this is how they think we our soldiers are. Because obviously, tell we were soldiers. Like who else in Germany would be like two white guys and a black guy and walking around together? Let's say like you know, a soccer team, whatever. But uh, so like so, and so as I'm watching this these films like the Sin City and Snyder stuff like oh and I guess the big thing is that um even uh, uh, 300 this is a really big cultural shift uh and I think being in the military I saw it from a, a, a distinct angle from most the general populace you could say because mm-hmm. you know I think it's pretty at least for us we know like the movie heavily influenced military culture in ways I don't think even expect because you know it's it, the movie itself, in, in uh, diegetically in text, it's a propaganda piece. Like it's the Spartans puffing themselves up. Like back, back, remember back when we kicked those guys' asses? Yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a campfire tale for yeah, the Spartans. Yeah, it's a campfire yeah. tale. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, so that that's in the text of the film. But you know, of course, you, you can't really control how people absorb these messages. It's just so, too. It's yeah. too dope. It's yeah. Dope. <laughs> yeah. So it's of course you like. So so of course you have every time when I when I'm out when I was in Kuwait, whatever, and we were next to Marines and Air Force and all the other branches. Of course you hear all the Marines going, uh, uh oh, oh, like they like they picked up right away. <laughs> oh my all the god, fucking, you know, that's crazy. <laughs> all, all the all the Spartan and even like you know even um many military units had this before Spartan imagery and lineages, you know. But they but then like once the movie came out. Like even recently, in when I was in Tenth Mountain, we had a third, the third brigade called the Spartans, and they pretty much wholesale ripped off the uh, posters and uh, uh, movie uh, uh, advertisements and imagery. Gerard Butler's body, they just took that shit straight and put it on there, all their placards and all their all their um, all their unit murals and stuff. Like it, it was, it, it went that deep, like psychologically for us. And you know, and so so when you think about, the thing about the uh, the fascism, it's like. It, Again, like the text of the film is explaining why it's that way, but like I said, you can't control how people absorb these, these messages. And of course, at that yeah. time, being the height of George Bush's global war on terror, it's like it's it almost like inevitable that people took it that way and and used that In bad faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like on all on all on all on all all parties concerned is that you know it 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 was. Fairly, I think I recognize insensitive, or you know, xenophobic. You know, and again, it's part of the story. But like, it it's just, yeah. it was a, it's a very difficult, very troubling thing to, 
do that when you're actually invading the Middle East, you know, like, like it's, 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 a, it's a very sore thing, to, sore topic to, to deal with. But yeah. then, you know, on the part of, the, part of the, the soldiers and the military is like, we have, you know, we're not all brainwashed, you know, like we all have our own individual thoughts, but like that, that spirit decor, like you, that, that spirit decor, that the, the chanting, the, uh, the camaraderie, it has a purpose psychologically. And like, you need to, you need to sometimes psych yourself up to do these things that you, that are inhuman, you could say. But like that is part of our humanity. Like that, that's part of our psyche is that we do these things to psych, psych ourselves up to do these difficult things. So of course it's gonna appeal to us that way to like to drum yourself up and like to, to know that to try to do this insurmountable um, task. Um, so yeah, so I, that that's I think even even now as and this came up in the news recently as part of what we're talking about this. You know, like the, somebody was talking about uh, I don't know, I'm trying to jump around, but just about this point about fascism, about how uh, there's an article about Whedon, Josh Whedon, you know, the famous yes. uh, creator Buffy and uh, one of the uh, key uh, founders or creators of the MCU as we know it, you know, how there was some like puff, some puppies about him trying to, comparing him, his like, uh, what is it, that, that his Willie really writing of superheroes to uh, Snyder's fascist, like, they call them a yeah, Lenny Reffenstahl. Called Snyder uh, Lenny Reffenstahl, yeah. Yeah, which is fucking yeah. Really but, but it's just like, it, it, it's it's like, it's just an aside too. It's not even, in it, it, it's, it's, it's presented in a way that's factual. That is what really bothered me about it is that yeah, it was like, that's really, it, it made me uncomfortable. Like I was just like, okay, I mean, what does this have to do with what you're, what we're trying to explore, begin to, Joss Whedon, you know. Yeah, like, Joss Whedon, you know, like murdering four-year-olds, and then it's like, oh, by the way, it's like, oh, by the way, here's, here's my opinion. Hey, and he admitted it. I had, I'm not, I'm just reading the thing back. It's like, I mean, just like God, if you haven't read this article in Vulture about Whedon, it's like, you ever just like fuck up so bad with your wife or, or anybody in your life and you just kind of sit in the corner and you're like, how can I make myself the victim of this incident? And I'm going to like, he, he basically sat in the corner for two years and then thought like, like telling a story about how his really wealthy and cool parents like weren't really there for him and that he might have murdered a four-year-old is like somehow gonna recast the fact that he's a toxic asshole i was like what where are you going with this it i i could not predict the next sentence as i was reading this article i was just like this is taking me on a journey i don't i don't know what this is yeah. I don't know what to, I didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. But yeah. In the middle of that, they just basically say that, like, well, it, Whedon was this progressive hero, and uh, you know, Snyder, of course, is a fascist, and now it's just ironic that Snyder's managed to, you know, play the media and switch the roles, and it was kind of like, hey, yeah, hold on, yeah. dude, hold on. It is like, like the, that 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 sort of framing of it, like, like there was some sort of like plan or something that was like that was really weird that was just 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 weird you know yeah sorry vice know. vice what were you gonna say oh well, yeah. so, so like you know well i guess we'll move a little bit like so then like you know things like uh watchmen are like um like so during this time period as i'm you know again in the same journey of kind of understanding film better um as i'm seeing more of snyder's films i'm still not quite i'm not I, at this point i haven't he didn't he didn't know like where he's coming from per se well, like all I can tell is you know, the, the visuals and like the the panache of it all, like that's so evident. 
So like, and so I was trying to like stress out where is he politically, quote unquote. But then you know, and and, and now you know, we mentioned Man of Steel. This is I was. It's very uh, similar to like Bay or even like like Peter Berg, like they use military imagery heavily, but the use of military imagery is not itself either endorsement or criticism. It's what they're using, what they're trying to say with those tools. And so, like you know, Man of Steel, yeah, you know, like the big uh, you know anime battle in the, in, the, in Smallville with the A tens and the and the special ops guys, you know, like and, you know, and and, and I, well, it is kind of ironic that I was watching, I saw Man of Steel in theaters, but then I saw it again on the bus ride to the airport to go to Afghanistan. So, <laughs> and we remember, you know, and we remember oh, wow. it being a very uh, dour experience, you know, because at the time I was, I was still was, I still hadn't quite. Uh, grasped what he was trying to do with 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 super, superman, superman and stuff. Yeah. But, you know like, like, like you guys said like, in hindsight now i kind of see where he's coming from but like it's funny you make a great point about uh he's using like that that uh elemental like uh mythical figure of superman. yeah, yeah. Like, I, i'll get into that in a little bit but yeah uh, but, you know, like, he, he has these, yeah. these distinct ideas but that at the time i couldn't grasp but like this that's when it started occurring to me that it wasn't necessarily about a political or a, a ideological message per se. Just like uh, how he's using these characters, these stories to uh, to explore those things, whether good or bad. Like you know, Sucker, Sucker Punch, great example. You know, people that's that's to this day. Oh, I like, can't wait to talk about Sucker Punch. Yeah, you know how that that caused my transition. I think. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> like like yeah. People say you know people say it's like a, it's actually like misogynist or like he he's he's uh. Wow. Uh, degrading Sucker women made me a woman. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So yeah, like as as as, as, as that's film... story. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get into it. This is yeah. this is this is great. Well, um, I, I, I guess it's it's, it's interesting to see that uh, you have this the way this director can influence these different types of cultures. Like you have this military culture, and then you have which would some people would say is the uh, inverse of it. You know, the 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 sexual liberation or sexual identity, uh, 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 gender identity kind of freedom that you wouldn't like. Could, but I, hmm, I just I just realized it's like I guess they are kind of linked. Really, like how you say this? We do a lot of homo homoerotic shit in the in the military. But like mm-hmm. we play it off as a joke. Yeah. But like he I think he kind of like understands it. Like it's not a joke, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, so, it's it's like sports, you know, like yes. in the locker room and stuff, you know, where like you're sort of em- embracing each other physically and yeah. celebrating each other's strength and form, and like, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't. Again, I don't want to interrupt if you if you have a train of thought, advice, but like I was about to just talk about how like um, I was in high school and. 300 came out and I was reckoning with the fact the the very real fact that I might be gay mm-hmm. and like 300 was like I'm fucking gay that is a great you know, poll quote from this episode it's just uh, <laughs> anyway break that out into the social mic later that was fantastic <laughs> but no no like, well, yeah, no, no I, keep I, going Stefano yeah, Keep going. At the time, like, okay, like, like, don't get me wrong. I had like my crushes and like girls and stuff, and and like I've, I've later come to realize I'm, I'm bisexual or, or pansexual, whatever word you want to use for that. I don't really like labels anymore when it comes to that stuff. 
Um, you know, so, um, but you know, like 300 was like, I have never seen, I've never seen the male form that sexy before, like, like prior to that, you know, like I knew that there were handsome men and stuff like that, you know, and I, I thought like, like Leo DiCaprio was like pretty and, and everything like as a kid and stuff and I, you know, bury that, keep that into myself. But like, you know, I'm, you watch 300 and you're like, wow, like, like dudes rock. <laughs> like, <laughs> like <laughs> Fassy, Fassy Bender is in, in fantastic shape in that too. Yeah. yeah. And, and, about and him. he has like long, he has like long flowing hair <laughs> and he's like mugging for the camera, like in that, like he, he was like a bit character in the comics, but like, like this was like pre Michael Fassbender stardom. Sure, like, it's like Zach knew you can like this guy. This guy was something. You know, you can literally trace Fassbender's stardom too. Then we'll fight in the shade, right? Yes. Like that. Yeah. Then we'll like, fight like, in the shade. That's the birth of a movie star, right there. That one line, Fassbender saying that is the birth of a movie star. Is was he? It's like my arm, movie. and he says it's not yours anymore. That was another like, yeah. you got me. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, when he when he says like we'll fight in the shade, I, I like to think that like you know the intersection of like you know masculinity, fast bender, but also like me and my homosexual my my queerness was that like was that the origin of like now we say shade like like gay people say shade all the time like like is it is you it would know better than than the three dudes on this podcast. We have no, no idea. I, 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 I throwing I shade that, I became a thing. Yeah, I know that that's not the case in real life, but I like to. That, that's my own origin story. It's your head cannon. The head cannon. For that's shade. my. That's my head cannon for shade right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, three hundred really took me as like this visual experience that was building off of off of uh, Sin City. You know, in terms of bringing a live action comic book. But also, it was just really, really super gay. Like that. <laughs> that well, no I, I was going to say it. also, it, it, it's something I've been thinking about from my reaction to uh, Matrix Resurrections is that Zach is really the the best student of the Wachowskis. Like he really yes. is the guy exa- who oh took what they did in the Matrix in <laughs> and he pushed. He he took that aesthetic because I mean, look, Dawn of the Dead. There's no, it's not really Wachowski vision, but 300 is like, oh yeah, he he's basically, you know, taking bullet time into ancient combat and using it in these incredible, um, you know, motion controlled, moving from different lenses within a single shot as a visual effect. It, it's mm-hmm. it still holds up like uh, incredible. If you just watch that yeah. that wonder with Gerard Butler where he like kills like 15 oh, yeah. dudes at once. That is the Wachowskis like pushed forward. And I remember you, you you were talking about Man of Steel about the end battle is basically the Matrix sequels, like, you know, with Zack Snyder's appropriate uh, boost of steroids. But he is kind yeah. of, um, so he's like super gay, but he's, and, he, and of course the Wachowskis, uh, you know, coming out later is trans. They are, there is they something. Are trans and queer for So there's, there, there is something to this, um, uh, anyway, melange, that, the, the yeah, spider melange. Yeah. There's absolutely something to it because like the first movie that came to my mind when I was watching 300 in terms of like um, tipping the needle uh, with regards to how we how we direct and, and show action on screen was The Matrix, you know, um, and, and more so than than like Sin City was sort of like reinventing right. the wheel in terms of, uh, you know, digital filmmaking. 
um, or even like the Star Wars prequels. Um, but yeah, there's definitely something to it because the Matrix is like, you know, very, you know, it's very loud and proud. Like it can be read as a, as a trans or queer allegory, um, you know, was like, it's just very funny to me that that 300 you know also like invents its own visual language in terms of action but is also like does have that sort of queer vibe to it um you know where you know it is sort of like this this celebrate the you know masculine brotherhood and and male bonding and celebrating of the of the male form um you know i i didn't really read too much into sort of like the military uh you know quasi fascist stuff that people were talking about or any of sort of the war on terror hype you know i was just this i was just this queer teenager who was just like you know like this movie is 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 like really really gay like but like in the same way that like top gun is gay you know like this is my generation's top gun volleyball scene but like writ large well, like, or like Predator, like, which is one of my favorite well, movies, but it's like but, undeniably oh, yeah. has, you know, intense homoeroticism in it. Yeah, this intense homoeroticism um, in it. Um, and, and it was like, you know, I, one of my friends, uh, I'm going to give him a shout out. Uh, Jacob the Noble has said that, like, one of the purest forms of cinema is just seeing bodies in motion. And that's what 300 to me is all about. Like, um, you know, yeah, we can overanalyze, um, you know, and, and, and I'm, I, I definitely find that valuable, that sort of commentary on, on, you know, the power of propaganda. Like it's this story about like a guy sort of hyping up the troops to go to, to go to war. Um, and, you know, you can sort of read into sort of the, the xenophobia and racism uh, that are there uh, just sort of, you know, byproducts of adapting Frank Miller's comic book sort of faithfully. Um, or you, right. know, you could argue that, <laughs> or you could argue that Zach is examining them because like you get to the 300 sequel, which tells the entire story from the Persian point of view, which sort of opens things up a little bit differently. But, you know, not to get into the weeds of that, for me, 300 was valuable to me because, uh, or valuable, or it, it, it resonated with me because it was sort of this, you know, this pure cinema where it was bodies in motion, you know, and this, this painterly approach to the human form. And it was very unsurprising to me to find out that Zach was a, uh, uh, a fine arts person, you know, who was super into life drawing and painting, uh, painting like the human form. You see that like in full force in 300. Um, yeah and it's you know it's uh, what the last thing i'll say about that movie too is that like it's it's actually funnier than people remember and i think it's actually as funniest film it has kind of like what we would now consider yeah yeah, the mcu style like like they'll make jokes like he's eating the apple after they killed everybody and you know there there's there's definitely an irony to that movie and in a little bit more of a sense of humor and it also is like it's only two hours. Like it's it's a really well paced movie for what it is. And I think that's sort of some of the stuff that then drops away on the next movie, which obviously it's a much bigger text, but it becomes like th- this huge uh, you know production for Watchmen, um, which mm-hmm. I haven't rewatched in a number of years, but I feel like would would play much better now that uh, we, we're post so many 
you know, superhero movies at the time. I think it's like, it felt like it was the right time, but in hindsight, no, it should have come out like maybe 10 years I mean, later. Yeah. It's kind of like that, that mystery man problem. I yes. Find. Like mystery man is a really fucking funny movie, but like, what is it making fun of? There's only been like five or six superhero movies. Like, you know, like the mystery, if mystery man came out now, it'd be like a classic because like, there's like, everybody's sort of sick of like, the glut of superhero movies and then same thing with Watchmen. like it, it came out too early like you can't really like have a commentary on on the state of superheroes and superhero fiction because there really wasn't one aside from you know comic books themselves yeah right but yeah uh i i so yeah 300 was definitely integral into me being like you know what like maybe mikey in the locker room is kind of kind of cute you know? like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, that, that okay so like I've, so I've never do we skip forward now to sucker punch and we say <laughs> that this is now so now you're you're seeing the male form in this and then what about sucker punch makes you feel something different Okay. Um, <laughs> so we're skipping. We're skipping Watchmen. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Do we have anything else to say? I mean, we'll yeah. I I like I like Watchmen quite a bit. Um, I, I like I it like too, it. but uh, yeah, I want to I want to get I want to get into the to the meat of Snyder and your in your journey. So if there's anything, yeah, if there's anything in Watchmen that that connects to that, then sure. I guess it was sort of like the the way that like. Snyder sort of adapts the Night Owl and Silk Spectre stuff in Watchmen. And like we were saying that uh, Snyder does sort of feel like either intentional or unintentional, like a student of the Wachowskis, because I felt that you do have that sort of queerness with superheroes thing in Watchmen a little mm -hmm. bit, um, where you sort of, it, it sort of explores uh, performative identity a lot. And I think that that's something that Alan Moore was definitely touching on in the comics, but I feel like Snyder put a bigger spotlight on it than anybody is sort of given credit for. You know, um, a lot of people are sort of fixated on, oh, he made Rorschach like look cool, but like Alan Moore already kind of made Rorschach look cool. Like, yeah, I, 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 Dave, Dave Gibbons' art, like Rorschach kind of is like, it's a fucking badass. Like he's a, he's an insane psychopathic murderer, but like he's fucking cool. Like it is what it is. But I really love this emphasis that the movie, the movie adaptation, and, and it's, it's kind of an agonizingly faithful adaptation in some ways, but where he finds sort of room to sort of adapt it into his own is sort of really play with the idea of uh, of like almost like superheroes as drag, you know? And I, I was really taken by that because like, you know, I was, I was teen and I was like already sort of interested in drag and performance art and, and, you know, what that sort of meant for me, um, when around the time Watchmen was coming out, you know, I was, you know, watching, I mean, drag, drag race didn't really exist quite yet, but there were other like programs that were similar to that. And, you know, I was like obsessed with that art, but then when like, I was also obsessed with superheroes, of course, but like, you know, I hadn't put two and two together yet until like, yeah, Watchmen, uh, the movie Watchmen came out and I was like, Oh my God, like, here's a guy who sort of gets that, that feeling where, the superhero identity the mask as it were is like is that the real person or is the person the one underneath all of that that get up and i feel like 
Snyder's adaptation of Watchmen really plays with that more than I think Alan Moore's does. And people are free to like sling arrows at me and tell me I'm wrong or that I'm crazy. But there's just something to that where, um, and, and maybe it's a testament to either Jackie Earl Haley's performance of Warshot and the way that he plays him. Where like, when we see Warshot unmasked for the first time, um, I mean, not 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 necessarily the first time because they sort of tease teased him out like unmasked for the first time. He feels like he feels like wrong, like he feels naked. Like that's not his face. Like that's not Rorschach's face. That's not his true self. Like his true self is the guy with the hat and the mask and the and the coat and everything like that. The 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 red haired you know guy with the scars on his face and the pock marks. Like that's that's his mask. You know, and then people always talk about like how that that is sort of explored a little bit in, in Batman, but um, in in Watchmen, it's it's really really centralized um, in some really fascinating ways. Um, you know, where like I think there's that scene where uh, Silk Spectre and a Night Owl they're not costumed at all, but they're beating up some thugs in the alley, and in in the comic, in the comic, it's pretty straightforward. Like, oh, this is like this is the gruesome violence of of superheroes. Like, if it was real, like it, it it'd be horrifying. But the way Zack Snyder plays it is sort of this weird, almost sensual performance. The show that Night Owl and Silk Spectre are playing for one another. They're like they're in each other's sort of drag personas you know they're 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 like they're turning up the volume on traits of themselves that they wish that they could be always all the time and they're doing it in front of each other to you know like they're hitting they're flirting with each other like during this whole thing and i think that people sort of overlook the the matrix level wire foo and ultra uh, and stylized violence to see what like what was going for in in a scene like that you know you what i mean yeah you mentioned the nudity like uh and it's the yeah watchman is relatively or highly sexual i think uh especially compared to now people always you know aching about there's no sex movies anymore like that it was going for it like and of course that was in the source of, of alan moore but like it it becomes much more um, tangible, of course, on film. But like, you, you again, you, you see those ideas he's playing with. Like, the shot where um, Night Owl, Patrick Wilson's character, he's standing, he's standing nude in front of his suit. That's in the, it's in the comic. But like, to see it, like, I don't know. It's just like, well, first of all, Patrick Wilson got a great, great ass. So it's like, <laughs> so I, am I, am I remembering him like his? It's just a shot of his ass going, you know, mid coitus. Mid coitus, that happens, that, right? That is, no, yeah, that's a different scene. Okay. Like he's talking when he's like, he's like approaching his night owl costume, and he's fuck ass nude. Yeah, and no, I, I wasn't saying it was the same scene. I was just saying like they really give yeah, his yeah. ass like like they. I, oh, I, it, was it was like up on the forty foot screen, like like Patrick Wilson's ass. Thing. Yeah, like like Zach's such an equal opportunity like gaze. You know, people talking about the male gaze, you know, yeah. gaze right now. But like, you're more likely to see a naked masculine figure in a Zack Snyder movie than you are like like breasts or whatever you know yeah you, you see and like a, really fascinating Billy, you see Billy Crudup's is like his like big blue dick it's like and he's like not yeah. afraid to like go there and but also like explore that sexuality in this in this 
in this story of superheroes, how that's um, amplified or, or maybe even um, mutated, you know, because he can do all these I, things. I with think, this, yeah. Like, like it, he, it's he, really, he, yeah. Well, it's like, really it, emphasized, yeah. Yeah, he, like, he can, they tighten and it's, um, even even like, you know, um, Asmundius, uh, Matthew Good, he's he's beautiful. He's, he's this beautiful Greek god of, of oh, an actor. Oh, man, like, a really, like, feeding into what I was saying, like, the way that they adapt Ozymandias in the in the movie versus the comic, like, his costume is completely different. Like, that's, like, a thing that I think a lot of people sort of overlook. Like, they thought that, oh, is he, like, poking fun at, like, the Joel Schumacher costume? Because in, in the... In the comic, like the the Adrian Veidt Ozymandias costume is like is like armor and then like a tunic on top, like it, and but in the in the movie, like the first shot of him in the costume, it's it's like this rubber this rubber form fitting suit that emphasizes his musculature. It has nipples, just like the bat suit of the Schumacher movies. And the first shot of him in full costume is outside of Studio Fifty Four with Cherry Darling, Lady Bunny, like a bunch, like Divine, and a bunch of drag queens. And I was just like, you know, like it doesn't this click? Like, like superhero <laughs> is drag, like you know. I'm still mad that that uh, Tom Cruise didn't do that role. I feel like that would have had this like crazy <laughs> meta vibe to the whole thing because he was. Oh yeah, he, he was the first choice, and uh, but yeah, that would have been. Wait, well, I just, I just, I'm, I really, as you're describing it, the, the, the drag element makes me realize now that, you know, like he was always, he was never afraid to explore this. Well, in my, in, from my frame, the male sexuality, well, sexuality in general, but like all sides of it that we don't normally see. Like you said, normally it's just like, you know, you see women's breasts or whatever, and that's it. But he was, he was not afraid to do this. And like, um, and like I said, like, not just the movie isn't just ahead of his time for the superhero. Uh, era, but it's like it's you know it's this kind of the spectrum of sexuality that you know I, I understand it as it is now, which I didn't before back then, you know, because I was a macho soldier, you know, I, I couldn't, I wasn't able to let that thought into my mind necessarily, but now it was very clear that now in hindsight he's he's unafraid to explore that, so you know even right. in his so-called propaganda movie and his you know his superhero farce, it's like that's this part of us that is very much worth exploring. And he's not like, he's not like, you know, making, I think the definitive statement one way or the other, but like just the fact that we can be allowed to explore this through this imagery, through these, through these others, through these adaptations or these stories, we can do all these things and not be afraid of it. Yeah. What I was going to say is that I think it also comes from, I mean, it, we've talked a little bit about this on, on previous pods, um, Stefano about, you know, when we were talking about war from, um, the, the Bollywood movie that's very homoerotic in a kind of straight ahead and, and they don't they don't try to undercut it with humor <clears throat> way but I do feel like uh, and, I, and I talked about my evolution of like trying to like being comfortable with these things and like really looking at the male stars in my movies and wanting them to look sexy which I'm sure is what Zach's doing and you're like, well, where's that coming from? And realizing it's all a spectrum and being like, okay, with, with all that. But I yeah. also do feel like it comes a little bit from, from bodybuilding, which is like uh, one of the things with uh, the movies, my, one of my favorite movies is, uh, is Conan the Barbarian, which I rewatched this week and, and kind of it God, took me on this that. whole yeah. mental journey of um, the influence of like Arnold in my life, like, and, 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 
and you know, there, I, when I, when I was a, a freshman in, in college, I even did a bodybuilding competition because I was watching pumping iron every day. And so I was like thinking about when you come from, and I think Zach's a, a pretty avid, you know, fitness, he, he, the guy looks great. He's always uh, posting about his workouts and stuff. When you come from things from that bodybuilding aesthetic perspective, I see a lot of that in his work too, where, um, <laughs> You know, like, like I, I remember my older brother would be like, why are you like reading Flex magazine? Like, this looks pretty weird. I'm just like, I'm visualizing like, ah, I want to have triceps like Kevin Lavrone and stuff like that. Look at Marcus Rule's pecs. They're amazing. And so, all of the, you know, I, I do feel like that's, uh, in, in, and you've kind of um, mentioned Zach's meatheadedness in, in, uh, in, in an affectionate way. But I feel like that's all kind of uh, part and parcel with that, like coming at things from the ancient, uh, not ancient, but like coming from things from a, a painterly uh, classical perspective where the human form is, is, is exalted in, in a way. And then that's kind of combined with growing up watching Stallone and Schwarzenegger and, uh, and JCBD and all these like made of marble uh, awesome dudes. And then kind of bringing that into the uh, a Wachowski aesthetic and pushing it forward, it all it all is is kind of there, and I can see. There's an interesting effect that when you blend it all together. Yes, yeah, for sure. So, uh, what are we on yeah. to, to to sucker punch or Mike? We haven't heard from you in a bit. I, I don't. I, I work. We can move on to sucker. Well, we do want to pick it up a little bit because we are we are running yeah. long already. Um, oh, okay. okay. All right. I, I'm I'm kind of a. Uh, I'm kind of holding a lot of my thoughts until we get to justice league. And also I w I do want to double back on the weed article because I don't think we gave that enough time or attention. Uh, so let's double back to that when we're done talking about Snyder. Let's go. Okay. okay. Cool. So sucker punch, sucker punch, making me a girl. Like, yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> um, no, but I, as I was saying that, like, it sort of dovetails, um, you know, from what I was saying about Watchmen, you know, doing like superheroes as drag, which I thought was really interesting. But yeah, I, I didn't really consider Zach to be like an auteur or an artist or like anybody super serious. Like, I thought of him as like a, a really incredible, like, vis visual journeyman type person uh, until Sucker Punch. And like Sucker Punch was the first time I was like, this guy's an artist. Like he he's a he's a weird idiosyncratic one, and sometimes he belly flops on a lot of his uh, big swings. But it, like he's a genuine artist. Like he's not just a visualist. He's not just a, a guy who can execute somebody else's ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, Sucker Punch came out in like college ish, and this was already when I was like starting to do drag and starting to play with makeup and starting to present like femininely like day-to-day -day and stuff and you know it's, it's very funny that it came out at like that right time but like uh i just i saw the trailers for it it just looked really cool like it, it had like girls with guns and i was like obsessed with that and like anime and everything and there was like a giant robot for some reason and there was a <laughs> there was a uh, silver sun pickup song in the in the trailer and i was like all about the silver sun pickups <laughs> and so i was just like sure i'll see this um, and I saw this and I was like, this is this really, really, really sad, melancholy tale about how um, women are trapped in other people's fantasies 
And while they can find empowerment um, in it a little bit, it can only take them so far and that the only way to sort of liberate themselves was to create their own as opposed to trying to uh, judo somebody else's. And it was very strange to read like so many think pieces and so many posts online about how here's this horrible misogynistic uh, like movie that's voyeuristic and ogling the female form and and whatnot because I this this really like I didn't see that at all like I see I see now how you could read it that way but like I think from the get-go I was like this is just this really sad story about like girls who are like who are oppressed and repressed um trying to be free and it's not necessarily an empowerment story <clears throat> the way people think of when they think of like Zena or Buffy, or Wonder Woman, or even Sarah Connor, or Ellen Ripley, um, because it's much more downbeat and melancholy about it, um, you know, and, you know, I was reckoning with a lot of uh, gender and sexuality feelings, and, you know, here's this movie that was in its own weird way speaking to me, and, and a really funny thing about this is that I saw uh, Sucker Punch back to back with a movie called Burlesque with Cher and Christina Aguilera. Screen this Gems, Scream, of- Scream Gems Hall of Fame. <laughs> this this was a hell of a day for me, you know, dealing with gender and sexuality feelings. Where I'm just like, I kind of want to be a woman, but I don't know, like, what's going on here? The universe um, just like smacked you across the head that day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like I said, I had already started doing drag and I was performing out here in Chicago a little bit. Um, but like, you know, I was always like, no, I'm just like a queer guy who likes to do this. But now I'm just like, I'm watching these movies and I'm just like, how am I trans? Like, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> um, Amazing. But yeah, uh, Sucker Punch, you know, if you haven't haven't seen the movie, it's about this uh this girl um who we only know as as baby doll like we don't know her real name um and you know her her mother dies and her stepfather is this is abusive and is mad because uh she had left the fortune to her and her sister um so his plan is basically to frame her for murder and put her in uh an asylum um and then that's sort of the setup. And then where it goes from there is that as soon as she gets to the asylum, um, she's immediately scheduled for a lobotomy, you know, so that she can never like appear in court and, and tell everybody the truth about what this man did to her and her sister. Um, but when she, when she gets to the asylum and she gets scheduled for a lobotomy, she immediately reimagines the entire asylum as a brothel. And it's not a very subtle movie. Zack Snyder is not a subtle guy. He's basically comparing like, you know, locking somebody, locking a woman up, you know, for mental illness is, you know, just as evil or more or less the same as, you know, selling some, selling a poor girl out for for sex, basically. Um, And, you know, and then she sort of befriends a couple of her, of the other girls at the asylum slash brothel 
and they come up with a plan to escape. And the plan involves a baby doll uh, dancing and um, her dances would distract the, their targets so that we would be able to steal certain objects for their uh, escape and survival. Um, and that's where you get all those sequences of like the, the slow motion, kung fu, bullet time, dual wielding and whatnot, because those sequences aren't actually happening. They're essentially dream sequences. Right. They're dream sequences, um, sort of uh, visualizing what's going through the men's head as they're watching these girls dance. So what's happening is in this movie is that the girls are sort of like, they're, tra they're trapped in fantasies of fantasies. But in these fantasies, they're, they're powerful. They know Kung Fu. They know they have, they have guns, they have mechs, they, you know, they're unstoppable. They're essentially invincible. Um, and, you know, they're quote unquote in control because they're able to like steal the objects while like the, the dance is happening. But are they really? Like the question is like, they're still trapped in, they're still like um, at the mercy of these guys. They're still, this is, this is not their fantasy. This is not like, they're not imagining themselves, you know, head to toe and like these like skimpy combat outfits with guns. It's the guys who are imagining this. You know, even though they're, they're asserting some control over the narrative, they're still at the mercy of, of, of a guy, of a male storyteller, you know? And, and I thought that was like a really interesting kind of approach to this kind of narrative, this movie, especially in the wake of like, you know, creators like Joss Whedon, who had sort of like um, become famous for like, oh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the, the feminist uh, empowering uh, genre fiction. You know, I'm going to have the, the badass uh, women who are kicking ass and taking names as opposed to playing the victim. Um, and, you know, what Sucker Punch is sort of this really strange, very melancholy roundabout argument as to why that's just another that's just another form of that's just another form of ogling. Uh, ogling a girl or, or, you know, keeping them under, under your thumb. This is just another fetish. In other words, you know, this is, you know, it's no longer uh, a strip tease or a pole dance or like a damsel in distress, but like, you're still jerking off, you know? So what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> right. You know? Okay. And that's, and, and that's what sucker punch is ultimately about um, where it sort of feeds into sort of like my journey uh, with regards to gender and being trans and it's like I guess it was like you know when I was doing drag I sort of I you know I created a girl essentially uh -huh. you know when you know when I, I didn't realize I was trans I created a girl her name was Stephanie Starlight you know she had pink Hell hair yeah. and like she was based off of like Gem and the Holograms and everything <laughs> like that I love it um, you know She's not me. It's somebody else. But I'm controlling. I'm controlling her. Like whatever Stephanie says is like what I would say is stuff like that. I'm like the puppeteer behind this this character, this persona. Um, and then, 
Sucker Punch being this movie about sort of how like, you know, creating a fictional girl, you know, who even kicks ass and takes names is still another form of like of control or, or repression or whatever. I was thinking like, am I really am I really creating this fictional character, this this drag persona or was I trying to hold in something that was real, that was actually inside, you know, that wow. that 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 was more sincere than, than this, than this character, um, you know, and, and that's, that's sort of where I was coming at when it comes to Sucker Punch. Um, at the wow. least. And that, that is an interesting thing from just a, uh, I think just a great education standpoint for everybody is that basically you are, you're, you're confronting a part of yourself that's more sincere than who you are presenting as. And you, you mm-hmm. basically have to come to grips with which part of me is the true me. And I, I think, you know, yeah. most dudes who just uh, are straight, cisgendered, it's just not, there. there's parts of your life where you have to evolve into different skins. But that is just, it's why I always have so much respect and always am completely dismissive of people that are like, this this trans wave is sweeping the nation. I was like, it sounds like it's probably the most difficult thing a human can do in a lot of ways. Like, it sounds like it's an incredibly painful and difficult thing to confront because, like I said, it is shedding this skin. So acting mm-hmm. like uh, everyone just wants to do that and it's going to be so trendy and easy to do. It's like, no, I, to me, I, I, I always have... Like I said, just it's like the entire world is kind of telling you to do things a certain way, and you're saying, "No, that is not the most genuine me," and I'm going to push back against the entire world. And I, right. that's why I think it's very yeah. courageous. Yeah, and that, that like it, it 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 is it isn't it isn't. I mean, like it, it's like it's more like I'm really laid back about this. Like I'm you know like I've gone through the struggles and the journey, and it's like. Yes, I'm the new me, but like that doesn't like erase other other problems. Or exactly. Other yeah. other struggles or what have you. But yeah, it's definitely it is a it is a you ask yourself a lot of hard questions. But yeah, where I was coming at with with Sucker Punch was like here's this movie that sort of dramatizes what it feels like to be at the mercy of what other people want you to be or see you as and how like yes that can be that can be fun and that can be enjoyable and then you could you could sort of find joy and fulfillment and that but, but like you're still you have to be true to yourself and you have to be you have to exist independent of of that of of what those people want you to be and what box they're trying to put you in you know and that's that's what sucker punch is so it was very it was it was shocking to see it sort of um red in bad faith as like oh Zack Snyder just wants to see like girls in skippy outfits like dual wield and look up their skirts and come through if you actually watch the movie they're they're not they're not really like ogled at or super sexualized in in any sort of weird no way. and like I, you I said he's an equal opportunity 
gazer yeah. and um he just wants everybody to look hot as shit in his movies so it's yeah. like um everyone's gonna look no, hot <laughs> there's no like uh, there's no like upskirt picture like there's no like you know there's not even any nudity in in sucker punch either you know um there's no like love scene or anything like that it's just it's just matter of fact like um and it was very interesting to see a movie sort of treat like okay like they're in these like skimpy combat outfits but like that's them sort of trying to reappropriate their the rags that the asylum has given them you know and 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 that's sort of that and that that like you know maybe i was just smoking too much weed but like you know that that cut that cut deep man <laughs> like like am i wearing am i wearing these clothes because i actually want to wear these clothes or is it because somebody else told me i should wear these clothes you know and and that's that's uh that's well, I, sort of what sucker punch is getting at in its own little weird meat-headed way you know i love it and i feel like you've now you know, completely set the table for us on this, this three film, uh, or sorry, five, four film arc. So now getting to what I assume is your favorite movie, um, Man of Steel, because it's definitely your, your number one comfort movie. If anyone follows you on Twitter. So, um, <laughs> so, so when I w- went back and, and rewatched it after following you on Twitter and talking all about it, I, I was kind of coming at it and it was funny when it first came out. My wife was like, "Why don't you like this more? It looks like a it looks like Skyline with like on a crazy scale." And I was like, "Huh?" Because it has the you know the world engine yeah, with yeah. the crazy gravity stuff, and even some of the stuff with the ship. It's got the blue like lens flares, and uh, it, it it was an interesting thing that she said at the time. But then when I came back and rewatched it last year, is when I I really felt like I grasped more. And it's one of those things I, I really like to rewatch Avatar as well. And I, I'm one of those people that like legitimately loves Avatar. But I always think Avatar and Man of Steel are, are the only like two movies that really have scale. Um, like especially in these visual effects movies. Like obviously the the Lord of the Rings trilogy has it in spades, but a lot of the movies um don't capture the way like when you you arrive on pandora and you're seeing the size of everything it's just like cameron just he's the god of camera placement and it's just always in the exact right place where it needs to be to kind of communicate size and scale and and uh and i think snyder to me it's such an interesting aesthetic that he's working on in this we talked about this at the time is that like it it it's, doesn't really match everything that he's done before or after. It's like this one kind of point where he's using uh, a bunch of different techniques of naturalism, but the naturalism combined with this um, really superhuman in, in a real superhuman way, like real alien, like the, the, the fighting and the, 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 the action in this movie actually feels alien and dangerous in a way that most of the stuff doesn't. And um, yeah, it's just, when I went back, I was like, you know, the action is just top notch. It is next level. And even I'd say it's, it's my favorite of that trilogy because uh, the action, I think in, in the aesthetic of everything of Batman versus Superman is more kind of back to the Watchmen style for him a little bit, where it's very like moody storyboards. Um, The actual Batman versus Superman fight is amazing but the end fight against Tombstone is feels like they had to condense it in the edit just to 
wrap that movie up. It's not as epic as certainly not as epic as man of steel. Um, and then the, the justice league one sort of, um, it's a little bit more in the man of steel thing, but I, obviously I think the finale, especially on, on Zack Snyder's one is, is one of the best, uh, ever with, with, uh, with flash and all that, but oh, yeah. yeah, I'll That's let you, like let you, blowing. let you gush about, uh, about this, um, the Superman trilogy of, of Snyder's. <laughs> uh, I didn't always love man of steel. Uh, I think, I think it was because like I was in film school at the time. Um, and, uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, everybody, everybody sort of hated that movie when it came out. And, and I was like, yeah, sure. Me too, guys. You know, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I was just very easily influenced by my peers. And I kind of wanted to fit in with like the, the, the so-called smart uh, film students, you know, who were telling me that, oh, Michael Bay destroyed cinema with the Transformers movie. And we're, 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 we're at the death knell right now. And, Man of Steel is the nadir of it or whatever, you know, and, and like I bought into it. I don't know. But like secretly, I was just like, you know what, there's there's some parts of this that kind of slap, like, you know, like the, the opening on Krypton. Like even people who absolutely despise Man of Steel will tell you that like, oh, that opening is like, that's how a Dune movie should look like that's like, <laughs> it's, it's dope as fuck, like, you know, um, I, and, uh, you know, um, and everybody was like, oh, Henry Cavill's no Christopher Reeve or what have you. And not my Superman was like the thing. Um, but it really, it grew on me in a few years. And I think that like, I don't know if it's like my favorite movie or my comfort movie, but I think that when you start off really not liking a movie, but then it growing on you, you become sort of its most ardent like fan. Like you fall even harder for a movie when you go through this like this evolution of your opinion versus like oh swing out the gate i love it you know mm -hmm. um you know i was like that with uh i was like that with black hat too uh from from michael mann um you know i i hated it when it came out but then like it, i watched it on fx and i was just like this is a fucking masterpiece man like um, I, I had that harder. experience with Kill Bill too because I'm like the fucking yeah. moron who actually wanted the fight on the beach at the end, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, wait, what? You're, you're, you're not gonna do that? That's it? And I was like, just a fucking bro, be like, well, bro, I mean, how are you gonna compete with yeah. fucking part one? It had this awesome battle, and then you just, yeah, you just fucking yeah. punches no. him in the chest, and it's over. And then like I watched like all in one sitting. You're like, okay, I, I'm emotionally exhausted at this point. The movie has reached the end. I get it. But uh, yeah. I remember opening night being pretty disappointed. So, uh, yeah, the evolution is always yeah. an interesting process. Yeah, it's a very interesting process. And it, it's like, um, I don't know how to say this. Like, it, yeah, I think I think that's really what it comes down to is just like, um, either you change in, 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 in your maturity or when you, when you revisit a movie later and then you're like, you're, you're totally, you're going into it with a completely different mindset to begin with, or, you know, you, you, the weight of expectations is gone. You know, I think, you know, the lead up to Man of Steel, like it was uh, the, the trailer was pretty fucking incredible. And I think that also yeah, every, it, 
every superhero movie has like insane marketing buildup and then you have online hype and then everybody sort of has their, they made up their minds about what this movie uh, is or should be or can be or won't be. Um, and, you know, like as much as like every single, like whether you're a critic or filmmaker or just like, a, you know, just passing the time, wants to say that you go into a movie blind and you know you you put those you put those thoughts aside but you can't help but bring it in with you when you watch a movie you really just can't you know? no and, and so, sometimes it's the worst fucking thing because you have like twitter yeah. in your head as you're watching a movie and yes, you're like you're exactly. feeling everyone's tweets and that is why um uh, you know if you ever are lucky enough to go to a, a movie festival and you're seeing movies that you haven't seen anything for uh, can't recommend that experience enough. It, it's, it, it's magical. Yeah, and and but I, the last time I would say it got so heated with with Man of Steel that it became like if you like this movie, you like uh, approve of nine eleven. It was like it, you know, and look, he definitely yeah, so weird. He definitely uses nine eleven imagery like like he does everything else. Um, you know, I remember joking like Larry Fishburne's like, "Help! I'm trapped in 9/11." <laughs> he literally is like reaching out from 9/11. Yeah. So I can't, you know, I can't say that it was, but the but the real pearl clutching about it, the the righteousness of like, if you like this, you support blah blah blah. I don't know what it is about this guy's movies, but it brings out some fucking, you know, smooth brained takes, uh, and that was oh, one it, of them. It's very, uh, you know, yeah. Oh, Vice, oh, oh. what were you gonna say? Yeah. I was gonna say, um, uh, yeah. just well, we mentioned like the the Superman trilogy, as it were, and like I said, like I mentioned before, how it's as opposed to trying to nail down a ideology, but just seeing him use this use this character, use, use this property to explore and use tangible elements of our real world into this story. So, like you know, uh, I, I haven't seen Man of Steel in a while since then. So, but like all the points that Stefano's been making since then, um, they really they have both addressed problems I had before but also kind of open up new things that are just not problems but new things to consider mm -hmm. like one of the big problem one of the big issues that i had was well because even when i had a problem with movie i noticed even back then that people were straight out misreading things in this movie in, in it mm -hmm. like that you know uh, for example like when um the reason that uh pa can't uh, uh he's not afraid that the, the government is going to hurt superman he's it's about he's he's proof in the flesh that the God, as we know it, might not exist. But now, you know, that can be interpreted uh, other ways. Like, you know, there's a new kinds of gods or different kinds of spirituality. But like the, his main concern as like, you know, the Christian white male from Kansas is like the, the, the God of Yahweh or Yahweh does, the, you know, the God of Abraham is not what we think it is. And so, and you know, that's how to place with that in his various imagery, you know, all the Jesus stuff. And he's playing with that stuff. But people were like, just that alone, the way that people misread that at the very beginning kind of made me realize over time that, you know, like it, he's has so much big ideas that are worth wrestling with, but you can't just like take it at face value necessarily. You have to like explore, like let, let it kind of wash over you and mull, mull on him for a little while to see, see what, is, what the story itself is trying to get at. So, um, and like I said, like, you know, I still have that kind of maybe or maybe not that, that uh, the experience of watching it that second time on my way to war kind of messed me up a little bit. Yeah, but, you know, but, but, but even, <laughs> but even, but even the film itself is like, it's, it's, the film is wrestling with that too. And, and, and the trilogy overall, like, you know, the last, the end, the final scenes, he's, he punches down the UAV. Like, 
you know, I can only imagine the people that I saw get, you know, killed in airstrikes could do the same thing, you know, like, like he's wrestling with that stuff too. So that's, you know, now in hindsight, I, I see that too. And, you know, and, and we can, I'll just say briefly, you know, what the, I'm still not, I'm still not really down with the, Man, you know, again, it's not going on there, but you know, just uh, too messy for me. But then, you know, in the, I see kind of it all coming together in his his cut of the Justice League. And I, I see, I see all the elements coming together. And um, this, for my part, like, um, you know, people t- again about the uh, fascism and the, and the military propaganda. Like, I see clearly, more clearly now that it's not the case in that way. Especially because, well, we'll talk about this in episodes later on, in, in as time goes. Right now, on Peacemaker on HBO Max, the show with uh, you know John Cena, like I see how, even though it's James Gunn's kind of slice take on the mythology of DCEU, I see how, in that show, everybody, even all the good guys, even the normal people, quote unquote, they're all insane, psychotic maniacs who should be hanged in, in the Hague <laughs> for war crimes. Like, like, like it, it makes sense that these heroes, as Snyder sees them, are these gods of these gods that. We can aspire to be, whereas the only way we as humans know how to counter that or take that is by being the most vicious, conniving assholes that we can be. You know, Amanda <laughs> Waller and so forth. Like, so, so the arc, of, the arc of it all now, in hindsight, makes much more sense what he was trying to do with the very beginning with Superman and stuff, and even even Batman to a certain extent. Like, it all yeah. kind of makes sense now. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense too in hindsight because hold on, cut- I'm sorry. Yeah, I need to interrupt and point out for people listening that Stefano has the most adorable foofy kitty that keeps showing up in the camera. <laughs> I can't not. I can't not just, uh, just <laughs> giggle every time I see it because it's fucking adorable. So um. yeah, uh, he's a little he's a little rascal. His name is Steven after Steve Buscemi because. <laughs> Uh, I, I I only met him when I when I uh, met my uh, my partner um, and uh, he's a partner's cat and and they were telling me the story that when he was a kitten he had like those little eye bags that kind of made him look a little bit like Steve Buscemi so like the, hence the name so yeah adorable <laughs> it's delightful it's it's wonderful <laughs> he's uh, being a little brat right now. I, I think, at my legs and stuff. The only thing I was going to finish there, Mike, was that um, I think it just, you know, because we've gotten so many different interpretations of characters over the past 20 years, I mean, especially over the last 10, it's kind of what we saw in No Way Home, is that you're more forgiving of different takes. Because, like, I think back when Man of Steel came out, it was like, you're looking, it's like, oh, this is the next definitive take. And now you kind of, with time, you look back and you go, oh, it's just, they wanted to do something different. And, and something you know, different. why, why fault them for that? They, they had a different in on the character and they said like, well, let's not make the Kent, let's not make Pa Kent a perfect person. Let's make him a flawed person. Let's not like, mm-hmm. you know, the old, the old Donner one, it's pretty much like he's got two perfect father figures. Um, and in this one, it was like, let's make both of the father figures more messy, more human. And it definitely is a different take that, uh, you know, sets itself apart. And I think that, that 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 funny thing with the No Way Home about, you know, all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, Andrew Garfield wasn't bad. He's actually, you know, the movies weren't great, but he was a good Spider-Man. And it, you get that time yeah. away and you're able to look at uh, these different performances and these different takes on these characters and appreciate what was good about them. Yeah, and, and that's how, that's what, like, that's my journey with Man of Steel was just like, 
Um, I'm finally like free. I'm not, I'm not thinking about what I want from Superman or what, or what should have been with Superman or like what we want from pop blockbusters or whatever. Like I can just like, like, I think like down the line when it came out on Blu-ray a little bit after I was just like, I'm just going to like sit down with this and give it a fair shake and see what it's doing. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is good. This is interesting. This is, this is different. Um, and and I think I love it. Like, and then it, that just, that just sort of grew from there, you know? Um, so think let's, let, I, let's I, jump into the Whedon article. Cause uh, Mike, he wanted to bring some stuff to that. Cause we're now we're caught up to his, 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 his these three movies in the Magnum Opus. Yeah. So Mike, uh, let, let's hear it. Well, I mean, first I'll just say, you know, for me, Man of Steel still doesn't entirely work. Um, I, I still think there's some decisions in that movie that I don't quite understand. But giving us Justice League, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, uh, retroactively makes it much more um, appealing to me as a movie because I, I think now we've got it. We've got a complete arc for Superman that makes sense to me makes thematic sense to me in a way that when man of steel came out it just i mean obviously as you guys can see i've got a giant ass superman statue behind me so i'm kind of a fan so um you know so there was there's some stuff that that kind of rubbed me the wrong way that make more thematic sense now once we got Zack snyder's justice league and um you know, it's the most you could hope for with like a sequel, like, you know, you want you want to enrich what came before. You don't want to erase it. You know, and that's what I love about like No Time to Die right now. Like, you know, it's following on the heels of like Spectre, which nobody likes. And then like, no, it made it better. You know? Yeah. Hell yeah. You're speaking my language. <laughs> they got to beef with that. <laughs> Moving on. We're not talking about No Time to Die. We're talking about Justice League. Um, so, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it just, it's an ongoing. Yeah, it, makes, it makes Batman versus Superman better. It, it does. Man of Steel better. Like by like you get the full picture of like what this guy's ambitions were for this, this saga, basically. You could still turn Justice League off after that narration. You don't need to watch that last 20 minutes, but hey, I'm, I, I have no idea still what the hell was going on there, but I'm glad everyone had fun and got paid. Yeah, and, and I do. Yeah, I've read it. It leaked out his plans for what the next Justice League movie was going to be. And again, reading it, I'm like, oh, this seems like a terrible idea. But, you know, uh, after Justice League in Snyder, I trust. I mean, that was the I've always had a love hate relationship with Snyder, but he so fucking nailed Justice League for me. Like he just stuck every aspect of that movie, landed every single thing he needed to that it's like just retroactively made me a much bigger fan than I ever was before. But what the reason we're talking about this is of course, because the big news is that vulture piece on Joss Whedon. For those who don't know, Joss Whedon a couple of years ago was accused of a litany of things. His wife, ex-wife, uh, Kai Cole accused him of cheating on her, being verbally and, and mentally abusive to her. Uh, several actors and actresses that he worked with came out, Charisma Carpenter being one of the big ones. Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. I can't believe I am, but the guy who played Spike came out and talked about how he was treated on set. Oh, was James Marsters. James yeah. Marsters, right? I, I, I was getting yeah. confused. I always get James, James Marsden, Jason Marsden, and James Marsders all mixed up. <laughs> three actors, all of the same age, uh, have entirely too close of a name. Um, but anyway, you know, he came out, some other people have come out, and 
Whedon kind of went into hiding for a couple of years um, and then came out in this vulture piece that was one of the most jaw dropping things that I have ever read in terms of how not to respond to a fucking crisis or accusations of abuse. Right. Because the other thing obviously that's important here is WB there's, there's conflicting reports, but for whatever reason, Zack Snyder left justice league. There's some sides that say that he was driven out by WB. There's some sides that say he left voluntarily. What's not in dispute is that his daughter unfortunately committed suicide while they were in post-production on it. He couldn't do reshoots. WB brought in Whedon who completely reworked the movie. Um, you know, not as much as I thought, but more than I expected once we saw the Snyder version of it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a big bomb and, and Whedon was apparently a tyrant and a dictator on the set, you know, threatening Gal Gadot, threatening, uh, just absolutely destroying and decimating Ray Fisher's performance, um, which is one of the things that's most fucking hilarious to me about that Vulture piece is that he, he, he goes in on Ray Fisher, calls him a bad actor on multiple fronts, as if we can't see Ray Fisher's fucking performance, dude. Like, we spent four hours watching Ray Fisher knock that role out of the fucking park like you you are you kidding yeah, it's, right it's not hypothetical anymore yeah i know the, ev the evidence is right there <laughs> like, like we we literally watched him own every scene that he was in in that fucking movie and you're yeah. uh, and it's it's bringing about an interesting reckon i think reckoning for a lot of people here because and this is one of the reasons we wanted stefano for you to talk about your love of Zack snyder because snyder is he, he's getting called a fascist he gets called all these things matter of fact fascist like it's just common knowledge that that's who he is which really bothered me yeah and by all accounts just the framing of the article yeah He's such a nice, supportive guy in real life. I mean, everybody that's worked for worked with him, all his actors, they've all had nothing but good things to say about him. But, you know, there's a whole lot of people like me who have, again, over here, this entire bookcase is entirely Buffy and Angel stuff. There is a whole lot of people like me who those TV shows meant a whole lot to uh, parts of their identity are literally tied up in it. And so there is part of this that I think there's this gut reaction to still to this day want to stick up for Whedon. I'm over it. When all the abuse allegations came out, I was over Whedon. Um, but, you know, there's part of me that's still, but I still love Buffy. Um, and, and, and I always will because I'm not. You always will. Yeah. That, that, I don't think that. I mean, that... nothing that can take that away from you. You know, like I, I, you know, I just went off like for all, almost an hour about like how much I love. Zack Snyder's movies but if I find out tomorrow that he clubs baby seals that you know or whatever that then I'll be like yeah yeah like fuck that guy but like, like I love the movies it doesn't change like I love the movies like it is what it is you know sometimes sometimes uh you know art comes from a number of things and not all of it's pretty and you just sort of you know you make your choices like you you know like I, it was very funny. Like I didn't discover the whole thing about Roman Polanski until I was like 20, you know? So I was just like, Oh yeah. Chinatown. So good. Like I love this director. And then like, I find out I, I Google his name for the first time ever. Like, and I'm like, Oh, <laughs> now, 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 Oh, now what? Well, <laughs> you know? The other thing that I always have to remind myself of when it comes to stuff like this is 
you know, one of the things that we, if you've watched any of the things that the right, the people in the writers' rooms on Buffy and Angel have gone on to do subsequently, whether it's Grimm or Daredevil or whatever, Spartacus, Spartacus season one, great, great show, yeah. Pretty clear yeah. that Whedon was also a master at taking a lot of credit for a lot of other people's hard fucking work. So I don't feel quite as bad. Still watch, you know, thinking That's about like, uh, oh. Marty Noxon, who went on to do sharp objects the sharp objects adaptation like you know she was crucial to buffy yeah yep absolutely and so you know there's there is a lot of people involved but it is an interesting contrast to me i find this like i guess i I don't even know what i'm trying to say other than like the whedon thing just pissed me off and it sucks and we need to call him out as much and as often as we can and i'm glad to see that he was getting roasted you know that that article was getting roasted oh i mean it's beyond that i mean you're gonna he's he's gonna be on like joe rogan and like you know within the year and he's gonna all of a sudden just i don't think they want him i think that's the problem he's gonna try i mean at the end of the thing he's saying maybe i was too nice like you can already feel the like uh, who, who's that little asshole, Ben Shapiro? He'll be he'll be making <laughs> movies for the Daily Caller, right? You know, like whatever their the next thing is. Uh, and, and unfortunately, they'll be too good for what we want out of right wing. Like it's dangerous. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> to reiterate the joke from last week, Dallas Sonye is already calling him up. And to reiterate my statement from last week, fuck you, Dallas. If you're listening, um, there's no place for people like you in cinema. Um, but uh, he's going to direct the next uh, Gina Carano action action movie, right? Uh, like that. That's, that's what it is. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I think that that was the that was the groundwork for it to me. Uh, that that article because I did not. It'll be, uh, it'll be like uh, Bethy the Werewolf Slayer. Like you yes, know. <laughs> I, you could just see like oh he he is he's turning to self victimization and he's getting mad at everybody who is who's brought him down. That is like you know that that path leads to the dark side and that's what's going on so um yeah that that was my takeaway yeah my 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 kind of i guess my secondary point is this weird sort of cult of personality that develops around all these people um one way or another you know whedon had entire uh you know people literally launching hate campaigns on his behalf um, and now he, you've got all the people who all of a sudden, you know, were like, oh, I was never a Whedon fan who are now going the other way. And Snyder has the same thing. Now, Snyder, I think, is a bit more interesting because I think a lot of his work has always been mischaracterized. Stefano, as you have, have so brilliantly articulated. Um, but he also we can't deny the fact that he has a very rabid cult of fans who behave in very, very awful ways. And it is yeah. baffling to me that I understand wrapping your identity up in a story. I don't understand wrapping your identity up in the creators of said story. Like, like I get that Spider-Man inspires you and you want to have a Spider-Man tattoo or something like that. You know, I mean, I have multiple Star Wars tattoos, but it's also not like I was, I'm walking down the street, like, wanting to throw down on people who talk shit on George Lucas. Like, I don't give a fuck about George Lucas. He's a billionaire. I could give two shits about George Lucas. And, and so it's weird to me that we, we, there are these people that wrap their identities up. And then when you have this reckoning, like what happens with Whedon, 
they 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 melt. They don't know what to do about it. You know, Stefano, you nailed it perfectly. You like Zack Snyder, but if you find out that you know he's clubbing baby seals, you're gonna move right on from him. You you'll still have those movies and what they mean to you, but you're gonna move. But I don't know. I'm kind of all over yeah. the map on this, but this was a really weird week for that Whedon article to hit and just kind of be like, ah, shit. Like I, is there it's just, it's, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to like, like stay out of my lane or whatever, but like, it was really rude to sort of like drop this article where he's talking smack about Ray Fisher on Martin Luther King day. Like what's, what's going on? Like what's going on at the vulture offices? Like, this is like, did nobody did nobody think that uh maybe maybe Tuesday, you know, maybe publish it Tuesday, you know, instead of Monday, but like, you know, but it's just strange. Yeah. 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 Decisions all around. You could tell that the the writer was it she just was not coming at it, I felt, from a neutral place. And it and some of the fucking like conspiracy theories that she pumped into that article felt straight from Whedon's mouth, but, you know, re kind of contextualized through her writing. And I, 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 yeah, I thought it was pretty bad, pretty bad piece. Well, and we, we all hope, we all hope, I think no matter what we hope for a redemption story. And so it is a bit where, you know, you want people to learn, even if they're, you want the worst of monsters to actually learn and be like, Oh shit, I was a monster. Right. And so it was a bit of a gut punch to be like, Oh, you didn't learn. You fucking doubled down on being a monster. Like, yeah, like you yeah, yeah. More horrific than yeah. we even fully appreciated two years ago. Like, you are a straight up fucking sociopath. Sorry, Vice. I totally cut you off. Go, go ahead. Oh no, I, uh, <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, um, kind of. That was part of my journey or uh, reason for starting to write in the first place. And like like we mentioned back in the beginning of this podcast, you know, part of why I joined BMD, you know, like to kind of be a, a alternate voice or uh, to try to fight back against this kind of these these really tone deaf, brain dead kind of uh, industry film journalist or whatever. Um, uh, and I don't know. Oh, you know, I, I'm doing my own separate kind of career path now. But you know, I'm glad we have. I think this we're doing now is part of part of that too. Having this podcast, having this access for everyone, having people that that have these uh important viewpoints, like Stefano, to be up beyond say this. Um. So yeah, I mean, it's like I don't know. Uh, I just I think of the state of film criticism, film journalism. You know, just like the state of the state of cinema. Cinema is dead. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of believe it in some ways, but I'm like, you know, it doesn't fucking matter. You know, like you like right right now. Um. Oh. I was gonna. This is what I want to say before I before we leave is that um, right now you know people are watching you on the uh, Sundance films on you know, online or otherwise you know you know Mike Mike he lives uh, in in Utah. I side the t- the tangent being that I got the uh, term Sundance cracker from Stefano. <laughs> so thank you for that. But you know like <laughs> like wait like, what? Uh, yeah. Is that something I said? It, well, I don't know. I want to blow up his spot, but like we were, we were talking about a certain um director who got a big uh. He got a he, he had a successful blockbuster and how he's oh, doing oh. A, yeah 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 now he's doing a uh, famous okay, video game adaptation yeah. I'll leave it at that but yeah okay, <laughs> but like, you know, yeah yeah this is just like like this is the way that the, everything is changing the the way the industry is changing like the film industry itself the journalism itself like the film festival circuit you know it's it's uh 
there's always this constant struggle between the um, the uh, old guard slash institutions and you know us us trying to you know like break through that I guess so that's the ongoing struggle the ongoing battle you know <laughs> I I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and, and give you guys this uh, this inside baseball thing because um, I know we're getting a little long but because um, I was talking My bad. about I'm so sorry no 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 it's all good. But I know I was talking about that. I, I watched Conan this uh, this past week. It was it's it's been one of my favorite movies. You know how your favorite movie switches, and it's just been for the past year. It, I've been really thinking about it a lot. And then when I bet, went back and and watched it, um, you know, it, it's a little bit of, of going through that that identity thing that I was talking about, with, uh, or that that Stefano has been talking about with us is that. You know, I grew up um, and I had this optic nerve glioma, which I've talked a little bit about here, but that happened when I was around four years old. So around four years old till five, I was just in and out of the hospital all the time. And it eventually got a surgery where they basically like pull your eye to the side and go in and rip out this big tumor um, that uh, if it could keep growing, you know, could do more damage. But once anything touches your optic nerve, you're, you're blind, like sense blind completely in that eye. And so I, that's kind of one of those things where I go back on the couch and be like, why do I, why am I so obsessed with Arnold as a little kid? And I think it is because of that vulnerability that I felt and that like a lack of control over my situation that when I would see this guy who was this like human God, um, it really, you know, became that this ultimate avatar of escapism. And, um, and then, you know, hit it, you hit into puberty and you're like, you get obsessed with this guy. You get obsessed with the, you know, the encyclopedia of bodybuilding. I bought both editions and, uh, you know, it just kind of continues fueling this, um, this sort of, uh, you know, I think a, a really positive development in my life overall. Um, and so, yeah, that, it was really fun to kind of go back and, uh, and kind of think about that project. And it brought me to this moment in my life that I'd kind of forgotten a little bit, which was around 2009. So it'd be more than a year before the first skyline happened. So I didn't have a writing credit at this point. And we're talking about problematic figures and, and people that have, uh, have been up and taken down. Um, around that time, uh, the guys that I was working for at Own Hydraulics, the brothers Strauss, were friends with Brett Ratner. And Brett and I got introduced and he would just generally if you were, uh, he, he's a very eccentric character and to just put all of this up front, he then also during the, the Me Too movement had a bunch of really serious allegations uh, against him. He ended up losing his uh, uh, spot on the Warner Brothers lot and he's been kind of, you know, out of the spotlight for several years at this point. And I don't really want to comment too much upon it because um, it, I don't want it to sound either way, but it, it's a complicated thing when someone who, uh, you know, I, I, my de facto is to believe women and to, to take the allegations very seriously, but it was always generous and nice to me. So do I want to go out there and say terrible things about them, even though it never happened to me? It's, it's a weird place to be. And so I just want to put it out there that, um, you know, obviously uh, I take the allegations very seriously and I haven't been in contact with them in several years, but I do look back at that time uh, as, as kind of, uh, influential for me and, um, and, and had some great opportunities because of this relationship. So uh, yeah, complicated. And, uh, and, and I wanted to put that up front, but he was attached to this, the Conan reboot at the time, which was at millennium. He'd never done anything at like 
a smaller studio like this before. So they were kind of throwing everything at him. But uh, Millennium has its own visual effects company at the time, um, which I think is is quite good now. But this is 2009. They definitely did not have the the level. Um, uh, if you'd seen, you know, like like 2008 is the Rambo movie. There's a lot of CG blood that they did pretty good on. But that was kind of like their their biggest movie up until that point from a VFX standpoint. So that's why Hydraulics enters into this equation. He wants Hydraulics to do all the effects if he's going to do this you know, uh, millennium movie. And so he sends us the script and he's like, yeah, and make whatever notes you want to do on the script. And, um, and so I take that as like my life's calling at that point. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I get to give notes on the fucking Conan movie. Uh, and so I, I dug in and, and read every single of REH story. Um, you know, Robert Howard is the guy who created Conan and he has these great pulp short stories um, I dug into that Dark Horse run, which started with Born on the Battlefield at the time uh, in the comics, which they had beautiful kind of bound editions. And, uh, and, I, and I thought they, that was like a really great starting place for what I would do on a, on a more modern reboot for a Conan. And um, I, I, I went back and was reading my notes for it yesterday, and I was just so shocked at what an asshole I was in my tone, but it was like so dead certain in myself, but it was, um, you know, I, I still think I kind of stand by with what I was trying to say, which was that they, they, the script that they ended up, you know, doing different drafts on and ended up becoming the Jason Momoa version. Uh, it just was still kind of remaking Milius, which is the John Milius movie is a genius um, version of the film and he uses, you know, revenge as a as a really great, you know, archetype and motivation to bring you into this world. And I think it was the exact right approach for the time and the exact right vehicle to introduce Arnold Schwarzenegger as an international movie star. I mean, that's really where it all begins. It, you know, people talk about Terminator, but Conan with the head tilting up on the wheel of pain is like you can't. There's so many other guys like we talked about Nem nemesis yesterday you talked about jcvd um you could talk about eco wise like there's these different actors from different markets and if they're not introduced to the american market in this perfect way it could change their entire career and i feel like arnold really benefited from that of yes he had done like stay hungry and hercules from new york but these these were not big massive blockbusters and to get like such a careful and um and, and and perfectly engineered introduction to the audiences i think is the difference between his career and a lot of others you know aside from the fact that this guy has the most innate crazy screen charisma and can like seemingly communicate things with his eyes that when you talk to him i'm not sure it's like it was purposeful but like he's so fucking good at eye and face acting and that that was the other thing i was taking away from conan with the jewel in the fight it's something that I noticed Eco does really great when I was working on Beyond Skyline is like his he looks at, at the thing that the character needs to see within the fight and his eyes not going through. So it's not you're not looking at the, the performer being like one, two, three, four, five, six. They're not looking at their their blocking thing. He's in the moment going like, I see that guy there. I see that guy there. I got to make this move and then make that move, which is exactly like what an athletic person would be doing in the real moment of that. And it's, you know, it's only something that 
when you become action nerds like us and you're watching them over and over again, that you really realize the difference between it's not just about being a good athlete. It is being a a great performer and a good athlete. And it's this extra Mm -hmm. level. Um, So anyway, getting onto that, I I just was, I, I told people I would tell the story of this. And so I wrote like, all of these, these notes. And I wrote, um, all of this treatment and I had this separate thing where I realized like, Oh my God, the real key to a great Conan story is to make him meathead Yojimbo. It's actually to just make him this drifter who comes into these stories. And he's like, it's a guy that you see at the bar, like Strider that you're like, Hey, I want to hire you to do this job. And he ends up and he's this big brute who's drinking, you know, wine and 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 slapping women on the ass. And then you're like, oh, you think of him as this one way. And then you realize he's much more cunning and he's playing everybody off against each other. And by the end of the movie, you know, he's fucking killed everyone and assumed the crown and he's made off with everything. So I, I, I even wrote, he's like, he's alpha male Jack Sparrow. <laughs> I like, like, he's not, he's not dancing. He's, yeah, he's, not, he's, he's not, he's not fopping his way through this, but he, you know, Jack Sparrow is, uh, and I think they even admit it. He's definitely a man with the no name riff, but going into this, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, more effeminate Pepe Le Pew, funny version of it. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that would have been my initial take. And then I was reading the notes last night as my initial take got watered down by the process of, of meeting with everybody. I was like, we should put in the frost giant's daughter, which is like 2009 post 300, like have him, you know, running through the fucking snow. And this woman lures him into, you know, having to fight these like 18 foot tall ice giants. Like I, I like, let's go really fucking into the um you know the otherworldliness of samaria and um uh, sorry hyperbia and um so yeah I, that was a it was a lot of fun to revisit and by the end of it my notes really just became down to like maybe do a batman begins thing with the origin because we've seen the origin already so like just chop it into like really small bites while you're pushing the story forward and uh eventually like being this like baby writer and, 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 and not having had a credit and going into these meetings. Whereas like Brett would always like, whatever I said, he'd be like, great. Okay. I'll send it to the writers. And then I like finally show up and meet with uh, the executives and, and the guys in charge of the Conan property. And they're all just like, why are we listening to this fucking 26 year old guy? Who's like way too into this. And I was like, Oh, I'm, this is not going to work. And uh, of course, eventually um, Brett left the project and uh, it ended up going to Marcus Nispel. Um, I haven't revisited the movie since the theater. It is kind of crazy that they nailed the casting and uh, it's, it, you know, he, it, it was almost like, I guess, ahead of schedule. But, you know, I, if you were to yeah, make a Conan movie Momoa, right now, Jason Momoa he wasn't Jason Momoa yet. That was kind of his intro. Yeah. But man, they, they, they had more right in hindsight than uh, I think I thought at the time. Put some, put some respect on Ronan Dak's name. All right. He was in Stargate Atlantis. (laughs) Put some respect on Ronan Dak. Sorry. Sorry. I was having sex at that time. I I didn't watch Stargate Atlantis. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Sorry guys. I didn't, I didn't catch the fifth spinoff of Stargate. My bad. (laughs) Speaking of public end, Stargate. Air Force. Never mind. <laughs> oh man. 
Okay, I think we've gone far afield. I think we've gone far off. I think I was just trying to give everybody that that little long story short, but um, but yeah, no, it, it it was a lot of fun to revisit that stuff, and um, I still think, yeah, Meathead Yojimbo for a Conan story uh, would be a fantastic way to approach that character. You should do it. I don't know. I, I have to kill somebody to get the rights, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it, it technically should be public domain. Um, but, uh, you know, um, the, the, they, well, they've been the, fighting that off for own, a long time. Right? Do, well, what, uh, do what George did and make your, make your own, like, you know, with the serial number spiled off a little bit. Yeah. I, I, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, Mike knows, Mike knows I kind of, yeah, kind, kind of have been, um, but just Wink. hopefully, hopefully <laughs> there's, yeah, hopefully there's actual progress on that project but yeah i mean uh, i don't know i guess it's kind of out there there's this thing that i've been you know working on for years called the last savage which is pretty much my uh my version of of what uh yeah like uh, that type of pulp uh mad max conan um high adventure thing would be but um you know i'd still love to do both yeah, what you really need to do is do be your own meathead yo Jimbo and figure out, you know, place a bunch of different rights holders, you know, position them against one another, play both sides. Yeah, yeah there you go. You eventually come out with the rights, and then you're like, yes, I am king. <laughs> I, I, you know what? We need we need Zack Snyder to produce the meathead yo Jimbo because then it would be the ultimate. There you go. Yes, and get get the eight hundred pound gorilla in the room, uh, and then and then we're good. All right, let's uh, let's wind it down here with the one last thing that we really I think that we need to talk about. Certainly our followers on Twitter want us to talk about it, which is the trailer for the soon to be releasing Woo Assassin spinoff movie Fistful of Vengeance. Um, now, I don't know. Am I the only one that actually watched Woo Assassins here or or I, watched, I, I saw it? Yeah. OK, Vice, you and Liam haven't watched it yet, right? No, not, not as yet. No. You know, and I'm going to blame the binge model for this because uh, I definitely wanted to watch it and it came out in one weekend and then, you know, everybody binges it and the, the discussion dies down so fast that you it's like, oh, I forgot about that thing because everyone's on to the next thing. And I, I feel like Netflix needs to fucking let it go. The binge thing did not work. Look at what Peacemaker's doing. Do the three yeah, episodes love, a week. week. Week to week is great. Yeah, it's so much that. better. It keeps the pressure on on people like me who are yeah you know Disney, inundated Disney with choices. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that I'm gonna I'm gonna blame Netflix, not me. Well, Thank you. Part of it is also you know, and and Stefano, I can't I I don't know what you thought of the series, but part of it is also that the series itself isn't. It, I liked it, but it. it the second, the back half of the series kind of the back, the back half really like murders that show. Like the first half is like, I was all, all for it. I was hyped for it. It's, it's, you know, it, it, it dropped around the same time that like Marvel announced that they were doing a Shang-Chi movie. And I was like, Oh wow. Like they're basically just doing Shang-Chi like, you know, but like with the serial numbers filed off and it was equal wise and, and um, uh, Lewis Town and, and a few others. Um, and, and Byron Mann as well, you know, uh, Ryu from the Street Fighter live action movie, who I always love seeing. And I'm like, how come he didn't ever like blow up back in the day? But whatever. Um, and yeah, so like it was just really cool, like 
martial arts uh, in a contemporary setting, but like there was a supernatural and magic uh, element to it. But it boiled down to this story of this guy sort of reckoning with like his father, which is like a very old school, like martial arts thing, like the legacy of my power, the legacy of this violence and, and all of that. And then all of a sudden, like the back half dovetails into, you know, this, this immortal Scottish guy who has a bunch of goons and has this really strange backstory that we're supposed to care about. And uh, there's like a four episode uh, possession plot where like this woman gets possessed by like a body hopping assassin and has to deal with that. And I was like, you know, I'm all for like, you know, gender stuff where like, like this body hopping character, like, tends to prefer like female uh, hosts because like his, his girlfriend prefers women. So like, that's like its own thing. But like, I was like, what does this have to do with woo assassins? Like all of a sudden it just, it just, it just became a whole different show in the back half. Once uh, Byron Mann is sort of out of the picture as uh, playing eco uh like father, uncle figure, you know, and um, yeah. So it, it, it I just sort of forgot about it. I didn't think that they were going to go with second seasons or anything like that. Um, yeah, it had a lot of potential in the first half and it just sort of belly flopped in the second half. And then I saw the trailer for Fistful of Vengeance and I was like, this is the, this is the thing I signed up for when, when you sold me on the idea of who assassin. So like, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was the thing for me is, is I, I liked the series, I think better than most. I don't think it, fully belly flops in the second half but there's no question that especially i think the final episode when it goes the full you know not really a spoiler when the final episode goes the full mystical you know battle of the mystical assassins stuff a the the series does not have the budget to pull off what they're trying no it does not yeah it, it becomes uh it looks cheaper than like warriors of virtue by the end you know yeah. and, and i was like i was just like how did this happen like this is like sub cw like by then like they they ran out of money and 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 whatever i i don't know what happened can't speak to it but yeah just uh that final episode really it leaves a it leaves a bad taste when you were into it uh in the beginning so like it just i just sort of forgot about it and then warrior drops and like oh this is the new hotness right yeah. here you know <laughs> And the other thing is that last episode really gets away from what we liked, like you said, which is we want to watch Eco and Louis Tan. And and I will fully say Louis Tan, Wu Assassins knows how to use Louis Tan better than almost. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen Louis Tan. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, it's like that one. I think Into the Badlands, he was sort of good in that one. But like really, uh, yeah, Wu Assassins, like he's like this dashing anti-hero who wears like, you know, thousand dollar suits and, you know, has like this dope haircut and has like a mysterious scar on his face. He's like the most badass like Asian action hero avatar you could imagine like in a, in a think tank. And, and yeah, like I want to see Lewis Tan played those kinds of roles, but like, yeah, sadly, like it's relegated to just like that one little like couple hours in that show. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. Cause he's, you know, <clears throat> certainly better than, than he is in, um, you know, that tournament fighting movie from last year. Um, but, uh, but that's, no you, you, you didn't like his special power was a sponge shoot a shirt. Like, like, and now, now we get his special power. It's a muscle suit. Uh, the, the, the tournament fighting movie where there was no tournament. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> special power is wearing dope ass, like, 
thousand dollar suits and and that's the, that's what will assassins get and and you know and it also has juju chan in it who's always amazing and that's what i love the mm-hmm. vengeance trailer is it looks like there's still going to be some of the mystical stuff but what the trailer really looks like is they're just doubling down on the three of them being fucking cool as hell and and doing exactly what you want to see the three of them doing because you've got three very talented martial artists you've got three movie stars as you know especially eco as as liam proclaims eco eco is a movie star um and and i think we all agree with that Um, well that that's what you know uh and i also was you know my my bitching about uh, Snake Eyes last week, I was just like, I, I don't want to see him in these roles. I want to see him as the lead of movies. I want to see movies built around him. Um, you know, I, I, I it's like, it, you know, it, what's it, funny, Liam, is that I didn't think of him as like a good lead until I saw your movies. Like, I, I, I didn't. Like, um, I thought he was like fine in the raid and in the raid too, but like, he's kind of a blank slate in those movies. And I'm mostly just taken with the athleticism of that, of, of his performance, but like Ram or Rama slash Yuda isn't really like a character. And like, I really wasn't like sold on him as like a movie star until the, the double whammy of seeing like beyond like your, your movies and also the night comes uh, for us where I'm like, okay, like, Here's here's like he's he's now a full bodied actor for me like where like given the opportunity to play this kind of these kinds of characters but like if you had if you had asked me like around the time the raid and the raid two come out I'll be like yeah he's no Tony Jaa like you know like it, it, there's, there's, there's something <laughs> well this is the hot takes from from Stefano I definitely I I would have I would have said he was but I definitely when I. I I think I also I was coming from such a like unproven place and I I saw this guy as like oh man he is he's so legit he's he's so incredible I I and and that's kind of when people say oh you know you know beyond skyline seems to know what to do with eco better than a lot of his american um or english language uh movies it was like to me I I I, I it was such an honor for him to be in something with me that I, I really was trying to do those type of intros for him. Like it was like that you're the first time you're going to see him is when he pulls this helmet up. I was, I was trying to set up that he was like this mysterious guy in this motorcycle helmet. And, um, and it was so great that we ended up getting him because of different scheduling things. Like originally in the script, that character didn't have as big of a role and um, Boyana's character, because she was, you know, someone you knew from the beginning, was like in that bunker fight that he has with the alien. And so he, the Sua character was helping her, but it was sort of like the lead split and you have two different action scenes. Uh, but because she had, um, uh, she had some, I think it was a play in New York that she had to like get back to really quick. It was like, okay, well, I have Eco now. I can just do this whole scene with him. And even though you just met him like 15 minutes ago, midway through a movie, well, he's a movie star. He can carry these scenes. And so, um, it, and, and then even like on the day where we introduced him in that, um, in the village, I just was like, Hey guys, can we add another fight? And it was like literally a day before they're like, another one. Okay. And it's, it's very, it's baseball bat man from the raid two in him. And, you know, they're, they're part of the, why um, 
you know, choreo fight team. So they, they they can do this stuff, you know, so, so quickly. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it, it was about the fact that I had such like reverence for him and was coming from it from such a fanboy, um, or I guess fan uh, perspective that I was like, how do I, you know, put my stamp on this guy. And I think a lot of other American movies or whatever, it's like, Oh yeah, it's this guy from the raid. He's cool. And they just kind of treat him like he's, you know, any other type of actor. And, and, and I, I don't know, I still found like, even in snake eyes, when the camera went to him on his face, I was like, I, he just commands a lot of that frame to me. He's got that um, just raw charisma and screen presence that I want to know more about whatever he's doing. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I didn't I didn't feel that until until later. I think I think I saw the raid and I was like the guy who played Mad Dog was like my like go to like I wanted to know more about him. Like that guy is awesome. Like, yeah, Ion is awesome. But, I agree. Yeah. Mad, Mad Dog is actually my favorite character in the first one because he's the only he person steals the damn movie. He's like, telling the know? truth. He's, Everyone else is a liar and they're like yeah. conniving. And, and he's like a fully formed. He's a fully formed character. Like. You know, uh, not he's not like a blank slate or like just another meat puppet to be beaten to a pulp. Like, you know, granted, like I know, you know, Gareth Evans has spoken about how like it's his homage to uh, um, Hard Boiled, the Mad Dog character from Hard Boiled. But like, you know, that's easy shorthand. And I was like, this this guy, like I know he's like he's a little shorter or whatever. Like, th- like there's no way Hollywood is going to have him like leading you know action movies because he's not like traditionally handsome the way that you know they want people to lose it but like i love that guy he's right still there. he's still but, gorgeous he's still gorgeous yeah he, he's he incredible is. shape incredible shape yeah. yeah but yeah um if i wasn't sold on on eco until until night night comes for us and and uh and beyond skyline yeah that's that that's really interesting um yeah, but yeah, Dude, no. Thank you so much for that, Liam. Actually, oh, like, this, this is all, the whole point of this podcast is for people to come on and just talk about how great I am. I love it. Yeah, I'm lying. <laughs> I didn't. Advise, any thoughts on the Full of Vengeance trailer? Anything you want to add on it? Oh, uh, like, like you said, um, Louis Tan's great. You know, when he when you use him right, um, you always 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 great. Um, I kind of I loved him in Mod Twenty Two. And I got you guys might have heard this or read this. Uh, I have a very strange theory how that's like a secret satire of like military tactical black ops sex movies, but nobody oh, believes oh, me. Peter so. Burns. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it look it looks terrible, but like he's. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, the editing in that movie. I mean, no comment. But, but the but editing it, in that movie, I just it, I want to yeah, put but, my fist through the fucking screen. Yeah, but, but in, in in the text of the film, he's like Agent 007. Like people are asking, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's what he is in the actual film. He's a, he's a, he's a triple agent, but you know, I can't prove it. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one yeah, day, um, interview with Peter Berg and I'll ask him directly. <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, by I the way, Fistful of Avengers, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, so always good to see him and stuff. I want to see him more and more. Yeah, and I, I look forward to it. Yeah. The one other thing I do want to shout out is it is directed by Roel Rennie, who has been a journeyman in the DTV, you know, in our world for decades and has done. Oh, yeah. He did a uh, hard target, too. Right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah he did, he did fun. All the death race sequels. He did hard target, too. Some of his movies have been good. Some have been bad. Uh, but I he knows what he's doing. And that's always the most important thing when you see a movie like this is 
is the person directing it? Do they know what they're doing? You know, say what you will about Hard Target 2. And I think there's a lot that, you know, some people can say about it, but the action in it is pretty fucking solid for the most, especially given that they had like, I don't know, 16 days or whatever to shoot that. (laughs) Are you kidding? I mean, uh, most, uh, most DTV like action films, like, you know, they're, they're solid in ways that I, I wish that like that I miss from like the nineties and, and like, um, and Hollywood, you know, um, where they're just sort of like, we'll, we'll figure it out in post. Whereas like, you know, like the, there's like this sense of, uh, um, elbow grease, like for a lot of the, the DTV stuff where it's like, okay, um, we can't, we don't have the budget or the resources. So like, we have to, we have to nail this like now. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that's part of that is also the importance of having in your, movie or show like hard target two he's roles got one advantage which is his lead is scott fucking adkins so you know you've got a pro there and here it's the same thing it's it's you've got i'm sure this budget on this movie is not huge but you've got roll rennie behind the camera you got eco and lewis tan and juju chan in front of it and you got eco's action team doing the action so it's like this is a team this is a unit that can kick out kick-ass action in next to no time um so you know i think I can't imagine people who listen to this show aren't at least cautiously optimistic for this movie, but if you're not, you, you should be, I think. Um, so that that's, you know, we'll be, and we'll certainly uh, for people listening uh, that will be when that drops, because it drops next month, that will be the topic of conversation on this show for that week. Absolutely. 100%. I think that I'm really excited for it. Cause again, it, it looks exactly like I, what I wanted from assassins i think i was taken aback when i started actually watching assassins because um there was just so many white people in it i know this, this sounds funny to say this but like we're like, really distracting adding, we just ruined things yeah <laughs> they just kept on adding white people as the show progressed there was just like more and more supporting characters like and i was just like i wanted to focus on the core of Eco Wise, Lewis Tan, Juju Chan, and and Byron Mann. And then like all of a sudden there was just like, wow, there's like there's like the the lady from Vikings. I like her, but like I was like, what is she doing here? And then there's <laughs> more and more, more and more. They just keep adding more and more. And I was like, huh? It ends a completely different show than how it started. So it's really cool to see Fistful of Vengeance, the trailer. And I didn't even realize it was a Wu Assassin's like spinoff um, until until like I looked it up because it looked completely different, like aesthetically and and even casting wise and even setting from Wu Assassin's. One, it was set. It's like set in Asia. It's like primarily South uh, East and, and Southeast Asian characters. And, you know, like I feel like they're threading the needle with the the magic and the and the contemporary martial arts stuff like in a way that's more fluid and coherent than what they were doing in the back half of Wu Assassin. So like I hope I hope it's good because it looks really good. And it basically tricked me into thinking it was its own thing uh as opposed to a Wu Assassin spin-off. So like I was I was hyped and I want to stay that way. I think that that is definitely by design. Um uh, we've talked about this a little bit, but like they, they just, especially on, on these streaming things, it's like they want the lowest barrier to click. And if they say, oh, you have to go watch an entire series before you click on this movie, they know less people will click on it. So it's like it's always want to kind of sell a fresh self-contained story. It's, it's just funny how we, the farther we get into the future, 
the more we're kind of moving back towards the past of like non-serialized, you know, storytelling. It's like, you know, it was good law and order. Um, but yeah, it's like, uh, cause I'm looking at the posters and everything. I'm like, it doesn't even say we assassins on it. And, uh, no. and so I think it's smart. It doesn't even have the same font either. Like, yeah. it, you know, there's nothing to indicate that it's a Wu Assassin spin-up other than like, I was like, this is, I was like, I saw, I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, this is really like, looks badass. And I think it's kind of funny that they got the Wu Assassin's characters in there. And I was like, wait, it is a Wu Assassin spin-off. Like, I didn't find that. So it totally reminds me of like the anime spin-off movies you know like my hero academia two heroes where like it has to be self-contained because it can't fuck with like the overarching story that they're telling or hoping to tell and so you have to do this movie where you've got all this epic shit that happens and then everybody goes back like ends the exact same place they start and everybody has to be like oh, well that was that was an adventure you know and and i'm i'm all here for that like i love that shit so i'm Go for it yeah <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, I think we are we are approaching two and a half hours, so I think it's probably time to wrap it up here. Um, Stefano, thank you so much. This was wonderful. We will absolutely be getting you. back on the show again. Um, I'm just honored you even asked me. I was like, I don't know, I don't know what I can, what insights I can give, or what stories I can tell. But you know, I'm here for it. I mean, I like I like all you guys, and I'm, any opportunity to talk with you off of Twitter is a good one to take. You know. <laughs> And it, it does always work better when you can just sit down and talk as opposed to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where can people uh, follow you if they want to, if they want to find you? Oh, me. Oh uh, yeah. So I'm on Twitter, uh, the underscore Stefano underscore DLC. And that's my same for my Instagram too. Uh, my Instagram skews more towards, uh, you know, my drag, you know, I, I, I do drag and I'll be doing burlesque pretty soon. So um, if you're following me because you find me very hot and attractive, both gender presentations, <laughs> definitely follow my Instagram. But if you want to hear me like shit talk movies and post about whatever I saw that day or whatever, then Twitter is where it is. And, and if you're wondering, folks listening, is Stefano, in fact, as hot in person as they are on Twitter and Instagram? I think all three of us will unequivocally answer yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, next time, um, I, want, I want the feminine presenting. Um, uh, we'll just do a completely different version. But we'll, yeah, I, I want the full drag there you go. next time we do it. <laughs> <laughs> next time I, I gotta i gotta get up early for that one it takes she takes time she takes time <laughs> awesome vice uh buddy where can people find oh sorry i was muted uh vice where can people find you buddy oh uh, like always i'm on uh the uh twitters and Inst in the instagrams and the letterboxes at the uh, at the vice victus uh talk your shit uh trying to trying to be smart uh yeah <laughs> I, I just I just saw one of your tweets about Sundance uh, as we were recording, and I <laughs> yo, look at this mad about that, yo. They're like, oh, you must not know about the real art. <laughs> I go my my own money to go to these fancy ass New York film festivals and the Jewish film festivals. Like, I know, don't talk to me about film festivals, homie. I be I put money in. Anyways, like I said, you want to get me, get me? Talk more shit to me. You know where I'm at? At my pictures on Twitter. Come get me. I'm right here. Wayface, <laughs> people find you. <laughs> Liam Odin <laughs> at Twitter and Instagram and uh, yeah, Stefano, thank you so much. Uh, I had a great time hearing about your journey and uh, I feel an even more new appreciation for your boy Zack Snyder. 
And uh, yeah, thank everybody for listening. Um, this is again, I, I can't thank you guys enough. I feel like this show has been just such a great outlet. Um, and uh, yeah, just want to keep it going. Keep that action for energy, action for everyone energy. Um, yeah, we will. Uh, I will give uh, first. You can find me, the Sundance Cracker, on Twitter and Letterbox at <laughs> Justice. Uh, as always, you can find the show at A Four E Podcast on Twitter. Um, and uh, you know, knock on wood, this will happen. But uh, we are, we are, we can tease that next week we will be joined by another guest, a certain uh, writer uh, who who has a, a an outlaw reputation. Let's just put it that way. And no, it's not fucking Sunny Bunch or anybody involved. With it. <laughs> It is the true godfather of action writing on the internet. Uh, y'all know who we're talking about. Hopefully uh, that will all work out and he will join us. I just, I just read his novel. That's really good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. And uh, that's it, folks. Let's do this again next week. I right, take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys.